0: It was an sense, rational mind. It was almost as if I had been insane all my life, and suddenly I had become sane. Now, I've actually thought of that as a possibility, that I, that I actually have been psychotic until 1974, from 1928 when I was born until, 19, until March of 1974. But I don't think that's the case. I mean, I may have been somewhat whacked out, you know, and somewhat eccentric for years and years and years. But I wasn't all that crazy.
1: Hey, dickheads, like a pink blazer beam of truth beaming straight from Ohio and California to your brain hole. We are your personal dickheads. We have left our synth wombs and we are ready to talk about the Divine Invasion, the second in the Valus Trilogy, the unofficial Valus Trilogy. Wait, you might have noticed that Anthony got a new hat or something. Um, so uh, a big update for us is that uh, we have a new co-host, Anthony, who learned progressively he didn't like Philip K. Dick as much as he thought he did. Um was really having trouble. Actually, came
2: to hate him quite a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Anthony was having trouble finishing the show, and so we let we we um, uh, unhooked his leash and let him run free.
2: <laughs> Plus, he had he had so much other stuff he was doing, he really yeah. needed to.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So to go, go on about his business.
1: Yeah. So we'll, we'll. I'm sure we we might get some bonus episodes from Anthony or something in the future, but. We have a new co-host, and he's been on the show before, so you may know Professor David Harlan Wilson, author, uh, professor, scholar, and that means that there are two Davids now on the show writing PKD books. Uh, Professor Wilson, welcome to the Dickheads Podcast. Tell the folks who you are and what you do.
0: I, uh, what do I do? Jeez. Uh, I write, I read. Uh, I live in Ohio. Ohio! (laughs) <laughs> um i yeah i don't know uh, how, how much depth do you want but i think well how about this the last time i was on the show we discussed uh <laughs> what the teleported man correct which oh, was no
1: the last time yeah, you I were thought, on the show I'm we talked about man. alfred bester
0: oh no that's that's right it was dick adjacent yeah, <laughs> alfred bester <laughs> that's right and then prior to that it was the teleported man aka what was the title lies
1: so, one of the other things that we can kind of sort of briefly announce.
2: Oh, is, and I'm Langhorne J. Tweed, by the way.
1: Yes, and I'm David <laughs> um uh, Larry and I have been around the whole time. Um, we hope you know us. Uh, I have a book coming out this summer called The Last Night to Kill Nazis. Um, so, uh, it's world last day of World War II, um, vampire killing lots of Nazis. Super fun. And uh, I should note.
2: Not that- often said in one sentence.
1: And keep posted because there's a book tour um, in Southern California if you're in, in our region coming up with co- with for- two former guests, Cody Goodfellow and John Shirley um, in Southern California. We're gonna be doing a book release party on September 14th for Last Night to Kill Nazis at Mysterious Galaxy Books. And you can watch that one online because that will be a virtual event. So those of you who are not in Southern California will be able to see all of it go down um, and that we'll will also have an event at Artifact Books in Encinitas and Dark Delicacies in Los Angeles. So, awesome. And uh, the other thing that I should announce is that we have a bonus episode that will go with this episode, and that's an interview with Aaron N. Ver- uh, Verity, uh, who is a um, Jewish scholar and a PKD fan, and um, he and I spent. 45 minutes going deep on Kabbalah and Judaism and its relation to um, divine invasion, because uh, what I figured is no one in this circle was gonna be as deep into Judaism as this book actually calls for. So um, that interview gets really deep into philosophical Judaism and all that. So you can uh, find that in the uh, bonus episode feed uh, for PKD heads or dickheads. It'll be on the SoundCloud for sure. So uh, PKD news. And the biggest piece of PKD news is that Amazon is currently developing a series version of Clans of the Alfane Moon, according to Variety. And this is Electric Shepherd Productions. This is, of course, Isa Phil's daughter is the one behind this, and the producing partner that she has, and likely star is John Leguizamo. Um, And Hmm. uh, it here's the thing.
2: I mean, I love John Leguizamo, but
1: yeah, well, the
2: star of this that's going to be odd.
1: Now, I love here's the thing, the, that. the writer's strike has probably slowed down production on this because they were still in the writing phase. So it probably is not moving forward at this point, but when the writer's strike ends, the, the idea is that they'd be doing this. But here's the thing, this is how it was described in Variety. Clans of the Alpha Moon is described as a subversive, genre-bending sci-fi comedy about desperately trying to escape and ultimately having to embrace our flaws. Told through the prison of a Latinx family en route to a new, faraway moon. Does that sound like the oh, book we read?
0: <laughs> Is this the same production company that did uh, Electric Dreams?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How do we, and do we don't like that, right, or do we? Oh, we
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. Do you? <laughs> uh, uh, I like yeah. to like. I thought Electric Dreams was okay. Yeah. There was a, that's about. There's ups and
0: Right. That's about how I felt.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
2: I really didn't like the, the Steve Buscemi episode. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that.
0: I mean, I, honestly, it, I thought <laughs> exactly. it ultimately pretty forgettable.
2: Yeah. but yeah. I really
1: liked Human oh, wow. Is was one that I liked. Yeah, Human
2: Is was good.
1: And um, and so it depends on the episode um, with Electric Dreams. But the, the thing about this announcement is that it seems like, you know, there are they're obviously trying to update it by having, like, non-white family, right? Which is fine. Which is fine, yeah. How much they're going to get into the different clans of if they're going to do...
2: Well, it is called the clans of the Apple Paint <laughs> Moons.
1: Right. Now, are the clans going to be based on their psychological disorders? Can you do that in a modern world? And 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 update it? I don't know. So, uh, you know, we did... Uh, I know they're there. not going to
2: have heap of feeling... Theliacs or whatever they were called
1: right now. We do Now we should note that um, Clans of the Alpha Moon is one of Anthony's favorites Um, Yeah, it's actually
2: it's one of my favorites, too. I mean, it's not it might be top ten
1: Yeah, and I was this was a rare case where I was the negative one on clans I wasn't a big fan of clans and part of my thing was that I thought the it focused on the wrong characters
2: and, and I thought you were stupid for thinking that.
1: Yeah, and you thought I was stupid for thinking that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, now, however, uh, the idea of doing a TV show, I'm all for more PKD in the media. It's, it's definitely helpful. With Man the High Castle off, we haven't had a movie in a while. Um, now, there is also a Blade Runner TV show in production. But, of course, the more Blade Runner goes into the future and gets further away from Dick, it doesn't really help. Right? Yeah. So this i think i mean
2: blade runner is so detached from the book now it's yep. yeah it's not even it's not even philip Kiddick. i still
0: can't believe that they haven't tried to do an, a more authentic uh rendering of the novel yeah so someone out there has been thinking about it i'm sure i mean yeah well it's quite different with the. i don't, I don't know if this different. is uh, is this
2: uh one of his well no, no that's the short stories that are uh in the the whatever they call it the public there. Public nobody domain. owns the rights. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, oh, public it, domain.
2: Yeah. Public yeah. domain.
1: Yeah. yeah and a uh, friend of the podcast, Keith Giles is doing a series of collections based on the ones that are uh, in the public domain, the sci-fi lullabies. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah. And I'm actually writing the forward to book for volume three. So oh, cool. Uh, well, that
0: you, yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a good, that's a good gig. Oh, that was, Oh, that's that. Okay.
1: Yes. Yeah, I read yeah. that email. <laughs> um,
2: I just gave him that email.
1: So yeah, I think the clans of the Alphane Moon thing is is generally a positive thing. But yeah. Um, what was happening but, in the whatever year this was? Oh no no we're not there yet we got one more Jesus piece of news right.
2: <laughs> All right.
1: Yeah we got one more piece of news the winner of the PKD award was announced. Oh right. And And keep in
2: mind that the PKD Award is not about who wrote the most PKD-like novel. It's about the best paperback release of the previous year.
1: Right. And direct paperback. And this year it was uh, Tachyon, the publisher out of um, California, who of course did um, Ann Dick's uh, biography in search of Mm. Philip K. Dick. But Tachyon Mm. uh, published The Extractionist... By Kimberly Unger. And that was the winner of this year's award. I have it on hold at the library. I have not read it yet. Um, I put it on hold when we first tried to record this episode. And I still haven't gotten it. (laughs) It means a lot of people are reading it apparently. There was a special citation to the legacy of Molly Southbourne by Tade Thompson. I've read some of Tade's work. And it's very good. So that I was curious about. The nominees who lost, um, uh, Abbor Reality by Rebecca Campbell, Widowland by C.J. Carey, and Rich Yamir Larson. Um, uh, Yamir by Rich Larson. That book is Yamir. And January 15th by Rachel Swirsky. And I have heard of none of those nominees. I've got to be honest with you um You know
0: I'm.
2: Oh, sorry. oh, now you have.
1: All right, that's all the PKD news. That's all of it, Larry. What? That's all the news, dude.
2: <laughs> I don't know what year it was. What? What year it was?
1: Oh, 1981.
2: 81. David, what happened in 1981? Like, I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're getting to the point where we can remember these things, right? i remember
2: where i was in 81.
1: so how about that where were you in 81?
2: i was right here in san diego california beautiful san diego california
1: yeah i was in the first grade in in, five miles that way yeah i I was in the first grade in bloomington indiana uh david where were you
0: i was in grand rapids michigan i think in the third grade i was 10 whatever whatever grade you're in (laughs) right Uh, I was nine, so.
1: (laughs) All right. See, yeah, I was definitely here. So you guys remember what was happening in the world, but some of our listeners are probably not old enough to remember, so they still need this.
2: I love the 80s. So what happened in
1: 1981? The major news stories. The AIDS virus was identified. The Iran hostage crisis ended. The Yorkshire Ripper was caught. Um, Mm -hmm. The uh, Post-it note was invented i use a lot of those um these are from the desk of robert agronoff these were my dad's i inherited these it notes um
2: stole and, inherited uh, same thing
1: yeah the um there were big riots in the uk um anwar sadat was assassinated and the first flight of the space shuttle columbia happened in 1981. now which i think is interesting because when you i remember about, the last flight yeah well, you think of like how far like science and things were going, and one of the things I think is great about this book is how, like, not with the times the science fiction is in this book, like he didn't give a shit about updating it, right? And um, that's something we'll talk about later when we get into the book. But uh, when you think about the fact that the space shuttle was already going, you know, it just kind of gives you hmm. some uh, some, uh, Perspective. you know. Some function, where where we were so okay um, we of course always start with the writing and publication history so this was written in March of 1980 and even though like the last couple books before this were written over a long period huh. of time with multiple drafts Phil uh, reverted to his like super fast mode although he did it without speed this time um, but did he? he was yeah, he was up all night writing. He spent he wrote. He was all up all
2: night, night, but not on speed.
1: Not on speed. And <laughs> by by whose account was yeah, he? Yeah, and and wh- why?
0: Why wasn't he doing speed? Seriously.
1: Well, he was. He had been off speed and had been clean for a couple years. Oh, okay. Okay. So um, apparently, I'll take that
2: with a grain of salt.
1: <laughs> ending on March twenty second of nineteen eighty, uh, Phil. Uh, Finished what he was calling Valus regained, at the time. So yes, we have another shitty title. We but it's not won. a bad title. It's not that bad, but it's not as good. as... Comparatively, it's, it. it's it's not bad at all. But it's not <laughs> as good as Divine to some invasion. of
2: those <laughs> other ones.
1: No, it's not as bad as some of them. But there's always, I think the Divine Invasion is a much better title than Valus. Uh, regained.
2: Although it's misleading, because it doesn't it doesn't say that it it's part of a, a trilogy or anything like that. So. Right. I mean, nowadays, you would never get away with just calling it The Divine Invasion. It would have six other, you know, colon, you know, (laughs) this and that, colon, this and that. You know, it would be the title would go on forever.
1: Right. So there is a possibility that he was done by the 14th of March. Um, But uh, if you look at the timelines that are out there, it's... um, most agree that it was the 22nd. Not that it really matters, but to us, to, to those of us who are super fucking nerds, it does. Um, it the novel that he did another, he did the final draft in May and June of 1980, and it was turned into SMLA in June of 1980. Um, he pre, they pretty much already had a deal for publishing it, so he, um, you know, was working under a deadline. Uh, there's a lot of really important things about what. Ins- now, it might be surprising to some people that a book that's <laughs> this science fictional would be so autobiographical. But there is a lot of events in his life that go into the writing history of this book, and this is the shit that would have put Anthony to sleep. So, um, you know, I'll be care. I will still try to. I'm get- not that far behind him. I know. trust I know. me. Um, his living situation after 1976, he had a suicide attempt that was, was, it was basically chapter four of Valance. Okay. And he had a 14 day stay in the hospital Right. when, and, um, Tessa and his son, Christopher came to visit, um, and also, uh, Tim powers and, um, Doris, his Neighbor who lived next to him in Orange County. Um, yeah. Now Doris is obviously the inspiration for the neighbor um, for Rebus.
0: Is that how you say it, Rebus? I don't know. That's so how I've said. With me
1: it. having read it so, so a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah, um, that's sure. That's it. Yeah. Right. So the thing was is that there were two women that were really important to Phil's life in this period. It's Doris, and um, he had a brief romance with a fan named Joan who lived up a little further upstate and, and he didn't marry her. Well, he didn't no, he did not marry her. Uh, well, I'm, he asked both Doris and Joan to marry him. Of course, <laughs> um, dude had a problem. He did have a problem. <laughs> well, and the first thing that we, when cast, Doris, we have to marry now, when Torres came to visit him in the hospital after a suicide attempt, the first thing he said was, well, now will you move in with me? which is not the best time to ask someone to move in with you. (laughs) That is not a healthy mind right there. (laughs) But Doris was the one that told him to get off his butt and fix his life. She was the one that was most harsh with him when a lot of other people were kind of being like, you know, very careful with Phil. Doris was the one that, and so Doris's situation, she and Phil became very good friends And he wanted her to move in. And the compromise that they came up with was that she took the apartment next to him in Santa Ana. And so they were neighbors and they ate dinner together most nights. They would hang out. um, And she basically said that she said, Phil had two switches. Uh, I'm not writing and I want your intention entirely. And I'm writing now and I want no one's attention. Mm. Um, And... So they had this kind of situation. So it's obvious that this her her situation with knowing the sick woman that's living next door in the other bubble was inspired by Doris because Doris was the one that got sick that okay. obviously inspired all the stuff in Wallace. So
2: she okay, she's both characters. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. She's the the character in Wallace and she's the character in Divine, in, Invasion. In Divine Invasion.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so, and Doris' situation was is that she was a religious studies, like she was studying, uh, she was studying religion at, and, um, I'm not sure it, would, it it's, she wasn't a nun. So I don't understand because I'm not a super religious person, but she was a, like a religious studies person and her job was doing, she was a student studying religion so when right. everyone asks where did Phil get all these weird esoteric books on religion, it's probably Doris. She was the mm. one that was probably bringing these home. One of the books that was hugely influential on the Judaism in the divine invasion is there was a, a, a Jewish uh, philosopher and I checked this book out from the library, but I returned it and it was uh, God in search of man or yeah, God in search of man or something like that. Um, anyways, this is these are the types of books that Doris Is this it had- uh,
2: was that by the one by uh Mayim great uncle?
1: I don't know that. But um but there's more Which details about Which is a real
2: person that's in this book.
1: Right. Well, <laughs> all the details are in my interview with Aaron if you want more details on that stuff. Um because I was knee deep in it. <laughs> yeah, go watch that. Go watch that. Go watch that, come back. If come you back. really want to know. And then, um, but anyways, Doris was the one who's bringing home these books. So a lot of the exegesis, this was during the period when he was writing the exegesis, right? And she was living next to him during that time. So you can imagine that there were probably nights where he they would have dinner together, hang out, and then he might be like, "All right, I'm gonna go write an exegesis for all night. I'll see you tomorrow." She would go to work, and there were times where he'd be waking up. When she was coming home from her work, her studies. And uh, it's Tim Powers lived around the corner from them. So he was a regular visitor. And Tim Powers had like a kind of happening scene going on with like science fiction writers would come and do workshops at his Mm -hmm. house. But Phil didn't generally go to a lot of those because he still had his agoraphobia and um it said that there was the original trader trader joe's was was around the corner it was 24 hours at the time and that the only people that saw phil out in the public regularly in the neighborhood were the people who worked overnight at ralph's and trader joe's and they apparently well, he did.
2: i mean he did specifically mention trader joe's in uh scanner darkly so
1: right yeah and uh so they he was a regular overnight. The overnight staff thought he was really funny. There was comments in Sutton's book and in Divine Invasions that the staff at Ralph's. Yeah, with the agoraphobia.
0: Yeah. So and yeah, you know what funny. though, also <laughs> the thing is, Phil probably want you know. He wanted to be the big man. He didn't want to be and probably didn't want to be there with other writers. Right, other writers than he, yeah. he was the big show. Right.
1: Yeah.
2: That makes and, perfect sense. I mean, that yeah. fits his personality to a T. Yeah, totally like, Now, wait, wait, I'm just going to be one among many. No way. Right. I have exactly. to be the, the center.
1: Yep. And during this period, he was only general. He had a lot of trouble sleeping and he generally only slept about four hours a night. Jeez. So his routine was wake up at 10 a.m. He would write till five. He'd have dinner with Doris and then He'd go back to working on the exegesis or whatever novel was going on at the time, and he'd usually be up till like 5 a.m., 5 or 6 a.m., and then just sleep for a couple hours and get up and do it again.
0: Did um, he just have like hypo—I mean, you know, the whole frontal lobe thing, but it, it's just like hypomania for seven years or something or until he died, right? Cause yeah, didn't right. did he work yeah. on that exegesis religiously? Uh, well, let uh, see— <laughs>
1: Oh, and Doris he was,
2: he was Doris, in his fifties, right? Or 52, early I late forties, late forties, early fifties. And uh, speaking from experience, you know, I, I call it uh hitting the age of old is ah. when you you stop like sleeping in past ten AM 10 or anything right. like that. You start waking up at ungodly hours, like six AM, four AM, yeah. you know, and you're like, All right, time to start the day. Yeah. And it, me a person that's been a, a night owl and a day sleeper my whole life i'm starting to do that now and i'm like oh wait a second this is this doesn't seem normal I'm,
1: so it I'm seems really like right. maybe
2: he was just doing experiencing that the old yeah. kicking in and, and making him change his schedule right possible
1: yeah. so i just looked in divine invasions doris was studying to be a priest that's hmm. what she was studying to be, and so uh, no
2: mystery there. No, no mystery <laughs> job.
1: <laughs> and apparently, it was Thursday nights at Tim Powers, um, and regulars were K.W. Jetter, James Baylock, and Professor McNeely from Cal State Fullerton, whose papers, who Phil donated. The, it's the McNeely collection where Phil's papers are collected. One of the things that. Was important about McNeely was one of the reasons why Phil was convinced to come to Orange County was that McNeely said that you can uh, speak to my classes regularly, which is an interesting like argument to make to an agoraphobe. On like, you know, but the thing was that the time when he made the offer to Phil <laughs> to come speak to his classes was during the time when he was in Vancouver, and he was kind of riding high on like. Being around people and everyone like admiring his work, so you know he's his agoraphobia those...
2: is an absolute joke. I mean, it's not; it's, not, it's an excuse.
1: Well, well I I clearly he used it through... as an excuse to well, get I think out he of went shit. Went through phases where he was trying to break out of it, but then it you was mean trying... he had different moods, like anybody
2: else. I mean, that's ridiculous to say that he had moods. any kind of like substantial clinical you know, diagnoses that that made him different than anybody else who's like, oh, I don't want to go out tonight. I have agoraphobia.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. It, it got pretty serious at times. But um, but that science fiction group, uh, Tim Powers, I think, um, you know, one of the things that was interesting about that is during this time, too, like, he when he was up all night, one of his regular things was that, He talked to K.W. Jetter, the the writer, cyberpunk writer. Uh, He talked to him on the phone a lot because um, Jetter had an overnight job at a juvie hall where he was like, yeah. And he spent a lot of hours on the phone with Phil overnight because Phil had no one else to call in the middle of the night. So
2: So it's Jetter,
0: not Jeter?
1: Oh, it's probably Jeter. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was. I thought it was Jeter.
2: Too, yeah, I, no, I mean Derek Jeter, we know. Yeah, that's true.
1: K. W. Jeter. Anyways.
2: Uh, but uh, he's. We should mention that he's also a character in the first book, right?
1: In Valus, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. And we have um. Uh, and he's um, the
2: uh um. Uh, the the non-believer.
1: Yeah, and um. David will be reading a few quotes from KW Jeter uh, Jeter coming up uh, <laughs> because he was important to this period because he was talking to Phil on a nightly basis um when he was working in the juvie Hall so uh the Joan romance and the some Joan was in Sonoma and that was important because um That's that a long way yeah he that forced him out of Orange County he talked about moving there for a bit and it was Joan who I believe traveled with him to France in seventy seven, um, to the conference. Oh, okay. Yeah, huh. where he had his debate with Harlan and um, and and many and Joan was really the last romantic relationship that Phil had was was her and um, also when she basically and she was, you know. A few years younger, not quite as young as Tessa um, was at the time. And so, you know, it was a weird situation because she was a big Philip K. Dick super fan. And so the the thing, the the dynamic was a little weird. And then she just, you know, he tried to get her to move to Orange County. She wouldn't. He talked about moving to Sonoma. She
2: called him Daddy. <laughs>
1: I don't know that. <laughs> um in nineteen but um and then a big event that that really influenced this novel was that in nineteen seventy nine, Phil's building went condo. And by the way, this building is a very short walk from the train station in Santa Ana. So I haven't been there yet. I'm I'm going, it's still there. You can see his door Is this the uh,
2: same same place he was at in the in the, the last episode? Yeah the one you have a picture of?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, and oh, that was Gill's picture. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, in uh, 1979, the building went condo, and that meant that Phil, who was starting to bring in money from foreign sales, and um, he was under new agent Russ Galen, and Russ Galen was able to uh, get him more money than he ever had before. So suddenly, Phil was doing well. So he could afford to buy his, his apartment as a condo, but Doris did not have the money. So Doris had to- That's move.
2: why she moved in.
1: Well, briefly. Okay. But, she, but then um, that forced her out of Orange County completely. And that was the very kind of hurtful events that inspired, and originally there was a short story, the, fair, the beginning of Divine Invasion was originally published as a short story Called um, Chains of Air, Webs of Ether, um, and the manuscript title was The Man Who Knew How to Lose, uh, was the name of the manuscript, and those are the first, co- the first two chapters of Divine Invasion were sold as a short story. I mean,
2: that should be the name of Dick's autobiography.
1: Is The Man Who Knew How to
0: Lose? <laughs> yeah. um, Wait, was that, was that written before Vallis? Or was Vallis written first? Story. was written first. It was, okay. Yeah. And so the, this is a published short story? Or? It was
1: published as a short story, yes. Okay. And the domes near each other were meant to mirror the relationship with Doris. And um, in, in search of Philip K. Dick and Dick's book, she quotes a letter that he wrote to his daughter Laura, Anne's daughter, with Phil. Uh, about his sessions of being up writing all night he was working on Divine Invasions and so it kind of shows that Invasion uh, Divine Invasion, yeah and so yeah um, and, so, and his editor on the novel and this is very interesting because it's the only time he worked with David G. Hartwell at Simon & Schuster and David G. Hartwell is a very respected and very well known editor in science fiction who we just lost just a couple years ago and he was in fact like he was the, he was f paul wilson's editor on all the repairman jack books mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why when when hartwell died like the repairman jack books suddenly didn't have a home at tor anymore because hartwell was his editor no. for for years at tor and a firm believer in those books but hartwell is is about as respected as it gets in science fiction he's one of the most Kind of famous and well known, and it was a big deal that Hartwell was doing this book. I mean, it was early in his career, but he was already very respected, so it was a big deal that um, you know he he was uh, editing this. Uh, David, do you have your notes up?
0: I do. Would you okay. like to read the Jeter quotes?
1: Yeah, the first. Let's go through the first Jeter quotes.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Should I uh, any context here, or do you want to? Re- no, context? just
1: read it and then we'll talk about
0: it. Okay. Uh, Yeah, Son of Valis, or Valis Regain, which was Phil's original title for it. I would be surprised because when Phil got around to the point of writing those books, he wrote them in a period of a few days. That is not taking into account the years and years of thinking about the material that's in the books. But when it came to actually physically sitting down at a typewriter and typing a book that started out with a title page saying Valis, going straight through to the end, he did that very quickly. When he did it, he reverted to his old work habits, and he did work under a time and economic pressure. Also, I think it's somewhat internally consistent, just looking at the books. They weren't done on a draft by draft basis. Structurally, the books are very poor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let's well, not miss words. The structures are poor, right? And um, but I think the most important thing that he's saying there is that he's talking about him going back to his old work habits, you know, that. <laughs> He didn't have the economic pressure, but he
2: wrote like, you know. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like relapse to me.
0: <laughs> the thing is, though, if Bill, if he was clean, seriously, uh, was he? Did he drink, or was he like totally clean those uh, supposedly those final years? If he had been drugging his whole life, you're always going to have like massive an- waves of anxiety, you know, that you have to contend with. Yeah. So that it depends could. on
2: how he was clean as well. Exactly. Like was Absolutely. it, was he a program person? Was he a, like do it on his own person? Right. You know, there's right. so many sure. different right. ways he could have been clean that. Yep. clean can mean something totally different. You right. know
0: what? You know what I mean? California clean, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, and that, I, I mean, I think the most, you know, insight into that we got was the afterword in, in Scanner Darkly. Um, he's, I think, he was...
2: So, uh, anybody scared. that's in drug culture, I mean, all of us had that same, like, list that we could put up. It doesn't mean that everybody stopped. Yeah. It just means that you, you, you like, take that into account. That's how you survive. That's how you make it through and don't end up one of
1: those names. Yeah. Well, right, but I think he... My personal feeling is that if he was still straight and if he stayed sober that it was mostly fear. Um uh I think he had a lot of fear of losing his mind and I think um, the afterward mm. of scanner darkly paints a picture of that. And I know uh if you're not the biggest fan of, of the divine madness of, of Philip K Dick but I, that book
0: I'm rereading <laughs> it I I'm, I'm becoming I'm coming I, back
1: you, to it. You are for to it yeah. Um but I, I think he makes a, a pretty, you know, strong argument that he had a little bit of psychosis from the amount of amphetamines that he did over the years, and yeah, I think uh, that some of that, some of the things that kept him clean was just straight paranoia of losing his mind. That that was that was my, my feeling on it. But you know, that I wasn't there. I don't know. Well, I,
2: I mean, he wouldn't know it at the time, but we're learning more and more that the drugs bring out, uh, psychoses that are already present and not that they, they create psychoses.
1: So sure it, it's embedded probably, inside of them,
0: you know, yeah, it was already He had that anxiety when he was a kid and stuff, you know?
1: So Jeter takes a little dig here that we kind of glossed over, which is that he called it son of Valis, which is kind of funny. <laughs> 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 and, uh, we know that Jeter did not like the depiction of himself. In Dallas, because it yeah. made it look like he uh-huh. was more of a believer in what Phil was telling him than he felt he was.
2: Even though he's the only one that's like the non-believer.
1: <laughs> right. But or at least starts,
2: starts that way.
1: Yeah. And um, and it's funny because I think Jeter also in other interviews has said that like he liked talking to Phil about those religious things, even if he didn't agree or believe in it. Right. So, yeah, all right, Uh, K.W. Jeter, quote
0: two. Two. They ramble, and they go from one thing to another, and it's just one idea after another popping into Phil's head. That doesn't say anything about the quality of the ideas, but just in terms of a structure, this may be something that I think about the books that nobody else thinks about the books, because I tend to be a structuralist in my approach to writing. To me, I think it's internally consistent to look at the books as just being a straight-through, unrevised draft of ideas Phil has been working on in another form for a long time. In terms of the actual dramatic content of the book, characters and so forth, I can't believe that those last couple of books were done draft by draft.
1: Hmm. Well I,
2: I, he's specifically talking about divine invasion or I think it's about well. Valis.
1: Valis in general.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just yeah. his entire oeuvre. Yeah.
1: And okay. it's funny because now that I've read the formula and studied the formula so much, I I don't see them as as structureless as I used to, you know. Um, he definitely starts off with a structure. The thing is, is I think. It's well, almost, he abandons
2: that structure. Exactly, I mean, every time.
1: It's so. like the tape at the end, like the. The, the tape comes to the end and it breaks off
2: and keeps. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know. Slap slap slap.
2: I mean, <laughs> and for someone like you who is very much structure based, yeah, it it seems it seems weird that you 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 like this you like Dick so much. You know what I mean?
0: Well, I've yeah, thought I that know. before, Larry. I haven't thought that exact thing about Dave before.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, and that's the, the the experiment that I want to do with trying to
2: to use that
1: style and yeah, see that if I can do it. I of course outlined it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but even like even the Divine Invasion, it, I was thinking this reading it. It starts out, you know, there's oh there's some plot characters and we're building, and then it's just filled, he, he just has the characters uh uh meditatively uh uh do a yeah. that for uh <laughs> 150 pages. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that here soon a little Yeah, bit. we will <laughs> Yeah, uh, K.W. Oh, Cheater third Number three
0: Okay uh, Oh, yeah, yeah Especially after reading The Divine Invasion I was sick of the whole subject matter I thought, well, if Phil wants To believe these things If it makes him happy To believe these things Then okay, it's fine Maybe that's what religion is for Opiate of the masses And here is somebody Who cooked up his own Individual opiate Yeah Right I like that. Yeah. I,
2: I like the way this guy thinks.
0: That's for sure.
1: Yeah. And nobody was. I mean, he was talking to him so much during this period that it's like, it's that va- I thought these quotes were super valuable um, yeah. on Divine Invasion. And I believe most of these quotes are all in uh, in pink beam, um, which is uh shout out to a friend of the podcast, Lord Running Clam and his pink beam companion. Yes. Uh, but now we're getting into what PKD said, and this next one's super weird. Oh, uh, <laughs> no boy. Uh, this was from in uh, 1981 to a letter to the sci-fi fanzine Venom.
0: Uh, that curious wasp, Charles Platt, <clears throat> says that you will print book reviews in which the author pans his own work. Can I do that, please? I have no motive except, well, I'd like to see if I can do it. So, in close, you will find my attack on the Vine Invasion, my most recent novel. If, as Platt says, you are secretly financed by David Hartwell, this may prove embarrassing since Hartwell published this novel. Anyhow, as a challenge, it fascinates me.
1: Yeah, so. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, he was going to attack his own book. And uh, <laughs> Venom the, uh, replied.
0: Uh, Chip Dip K Kills review of the Divine Invasion will be in Venom number 3. Meanwhile, here is a copy of Venom number 2 for your amusement. By the way, we agree that the review is one of the funniest we've ever read. Best Venom.
1: Yeah, and then uh, Paul Williams noted that Venom 3 never came out. Oh, it can be found in the PKD Society uh, number 29. But I love the I like Chip Dip K Kill. Right? <laughs> <laughs> As a pseudonym. Uh, is pretty pretty funny. Um, okay, PKD quote number
0: two. Okay, I just now looked over the Divine Invasion, <clears throat> as I recently realized about Ballas. The dialectic, is that right? Yeah, that is the inner life of God is revealed to, oh, oh right. Boehme, and exp, exp, explicated later by Schelling, and commented on by, for example, Tillich, or Tillich is presented as the very basis of the book. In Vallis, it is expressed dramatically as world order, in which the irrational confronts the, quote-unquote, bright or rational, designated properly, Logos. In Divine Invasion, this same dialectic reappears, and this time is stated to be the two sides of God, rather than world order. That is, in Divine Invasion, it is now correctly seen to be within God himself. It is now divine invasion between Emmanuel, who is the terrible, destroying solar heat warring side, and Xena, who is loving, playful, tender, associated with bells and flowers. And what unifies the two at last, by the way, it is she who takes the lead in restoring memory and hence unification. Emmanuel is the side. She has not and is not impaired. Uh, What unifies the two at last, again, is play. She plays and Emmanuel has a secret desire to play.
1: So here's one of the things I think is funny about this. He randomly mentions these religious philosophers as if everyone's gonna know who Boheim and Tillich are, right? And I thought that was like a little snooty of Phil, right?
0: He does that in his philosophical essays quite a bit. He likes to name drop and, uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: And, um, so, but there's some interesting stuff in here where he's talking about, like, what his intentions are and what the manual is supposed to be and, and all that. And, um, and, uh, well, I was
2: more surprised by what he, he thought Xena was supposed to be. I mean, I, I saw her as a, facet of, of God, but also the embodiment of Satan. I mean, she is called the adversary.
0: And she's like, every, at one point, doesn't she say, well, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other, I, I yeah, can exactly. be that. Yeah. yeah. But she does make that garden, you know, with the, the flowers and bells. And uh, there's a scene yeah. where she tries to pass herself off as a certain type of other person, yeah.
1: All what right, think? and... Um, Last one. Yeah.
0: Really, then, the divine invasion simply continues the fundamental theme of valis, but does not seem to do so, not unless one perceives this theme and what it is, the dialectic, that is, the dynamic inner life of God. The divine invasion is not so loose a sequel to valis as it might seem. By, in the shift from Gnosticism, the present, realism, to Kabbalah, the future, that which would not and could not come with pot, as in galactic pot healer? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is that it?
1: <laughs> That's
0: it. And then. More, I, it kind of got
1: you. Sorry. No, As yeah. in pot. Okay. <laughs> With pot. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I just think the um, kind of inner dia- the inner dialogue of, of God is a kind of interesting thing that he you know was wanting to do with this book and for me like i personally like that it's more directly science fiction than Vallis right like i enjoyed that more and um the connections to vales are very thin but um uh,
2: it's there i mean it's ob- it's very obvious yeah you know he has a whole chapter where he discusses like all the stuff that happened in in Vallis. So
1: the last thing about the writing and publication history that's important is that in nineteen ninety one it was the rights to Divine Invasion which held up the entire vintage reprint line really? in ninety one because Berkeley like was still is holding that, on to the rights.
2: That's these, right?
1: Yes. Oh yeah, it was. Yeah, that's Russ Galen had to put a lot of work and energy into getting the rights back to the Divine Invasion in order to be able to do a complete line with Vintage, Hmm. and um, which by
2: by the way, it's the. I mean, it's the Vintage series that like made me a Dick fan.
0: Me too. Me too. Totally. Yeah, Yeah.
2: and um, I mean, a lot of people of our age are. Probably in the same boat. Like we saw those books, and we were like, "Oh, Phil K. Dick. I I I remember Blade Runner. I'm I'm gonna read these."
1: Right. And so the importance of Divine Invasion being like such a hard sell. Um, Vintage wanted to do the Valis books early, so the Valis trilogy was published first before the entire rest of the Vintage line. So the, the Divine Invasion. Which you'll notice because you just held up the cover it has a much i think one of the better vintage covers here's the color
2: i mean i like all of their yeah yeah
1: Yeah. i'm a big
2: fan of all their covers
1: yeah and so i think they put more energy into those first couple ones when they were like kind of trying to launch it and um so a lot more than
2: viking has
1: (laughs) mariner yeah
2: mariner Mariner.
1: that's the Mariner, Mariner editions are terrible.
0: They got. How does it work with like uh, um, the, the stuff that John Lethem is involved with? Is that Penguin, where where he does those? uh No, it's not Penguin. It's Mariner, right?
1: Yeah, Mariner. The, the newer one? ones. Mariner. Yeah. Yeah. How does that? What's the?
0: But I had to sell.
1: Galen sold the rights to the entire collection.
0: Oh, okay. I yeah. see.
1: Yeah. And for example, like um the reason why Ganymede Takeover isn't in the collection is. Ray Nelson's family didn't play ball with um, the selling of the rights of getting me takeover. So it's not, oh. there's not a, a, a Mariner edition. Um, whereas Deus Irie is in the Mariner okay. collection, for example.
0: So does Mariner currently ha- have the rights. Have the to rights
1: yeah. yeah it. and it's too bad because I think if they did another series or editions with like really cool, like forwards by different,
2: yeah, different scholars,
1: sure with actual covers, they could, like, sell. Totally. Yeah, but they,
2: I mean, currently they dominate the market of of Phil K. Dick, so. Yeah. Yeah. They're, like, the easiest to get, the cheapest to get. Yep. You know, that kind of stuff.
1: All right. Larry, that's it. Yeah. For, I know that's a lot of writing and publication history. <laughs> oh, cool. So, it's time for the story. Bling, 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 bling. Otherwise known as David goes to pee Well, Larry tells us what happened.
0: Yeah, yeah, basically. I have to go to the bathroom so bad. Go. I'm gonna. Go. No, I right, can start we'll right this back. by
2: myself. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. All right, now that we're alone. Go. Oh, shit, we're not alone yet. <laughs> All right, now. That we're alone. Let me tell you about. um, The divine invasion. Well. First of all. It's a book. It's also a sequel to Valis. And it starts with. An angel. Introducing God. To his teacher. And his alternate self. So you know. It starts very simply. Uh, But. Then we go to. Space where this lunatic is infatuated and spends the entire book pining for this just ordinary, you know, not spectacular, but ordinary woman he has put on a pedestal because he lives in a dome on a desolate planet. By himself and has nothing else to do other than this job that means nothing to no one. He's basically a, as Douglas Adams would put it, a a telephone cleaner. Uh, But he has a neighbor, this woman, Rebus.
1: Doris-ish.
2: Doris-ish. Rebus is ill and he finds this out from his... uh, Trash guy or something light bulb changer something. I don't know some 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 dude and uh, There's aliens, but they don't matter really They don't factor in much so this dude is like oh man, I should go visit that girl, but then I would not be here by myself and and With my lady love who doesn't even know I exist and might not exist herself but but whatever, I'm dead, so who cares? And so he uh, he ends up going to Rebus's house, and she's a total mess. And then the angel Gabriel shows up in the form of this guy Elias Tate, and he's like, "Hey, guess what? God made you sick, and God made you have a vision, so you would come over here and take care of her, and then we could leave." Go back to Earth, and then stuff will happen, and God will be fine because you're carrying God in your in your gut. So they go back to Earth, stuff happens, you know, he dies, she dies, the kid lives, Elias lives, and so they go to school. We're back at the beginning of the book. And then God, who's named Emmanuel now doesn't know who he is and meets this uh, little girl, same age as him, basically a little older. Her name is Zena, and they become friends. And she's like, I know who you are. And he's like, well, I don't know who I am. And she sort of helps him, guides him towards knowing who he is throughout the book. Meanwhile, our dead dude comes back to life and he's like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't know what to do. I've, I've been, like, dead for, like, ten years or some shit. And uh, so I guess I'll go find my kid that's not my kid. But uh, that angel dude seemed to know what was going on. So I got nowhere else to be. Hey, fuck it. I'm going to go there. So he goes there. And he's like, oh, hey. Oh, the kid doesn't like me. But the kid loves me for some reason. And so that means God... Hates me and loves me? I don't know. And he's like, well, this sucks. I don't like being here. I'm going to go find um, the Waffle House waitress and live happily ever after. And then there's some like reality changing thing when, when God and Xena go to her realm, which is a better earth where she's an adult. He's still a kid, I think. He's still a kid. He's still a kid, right?
1: I think so, yeah. yeah. Well, it's also interesting that you mentioned that Doris goes from, in real life, studying to be a priest to basically a Waffle House waitress. It's kind of also...
2: <laughs> well, I mean, that's what happens. She's described as a... I have it written down here. She does look a little like a pizza waitress. Uh, yeah. That, uh, oh, you're right. 184
0: yeah I know it's <laughs> just weird what does that mean uh, I mean I, I took it
2: as uh well there's other stuff like she has zits and uh, like acne and she's like dumpy kind of dumpy he's like eh. just it, it she's described as not very like superstar ish and he's still into it. So okay. he's like, I don't I don't care. I'm all about your something. And uh this is the this is our supposed hero is I, I haven't said his name yet. Herb Asher is our hero, I guess. Kind of.
1: Don't do heroes in Philip K. Dick. You know
2: Yeah, right. He's our 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 Philip K. Dick vessel
1: protagonist he, he's
2: our he's our sad sack
0: yes yeah, that's exactly i was thinking of a like he's depressed his head is bent so
1: forth yeah he's a, yeah, he's the first he, chapter subhuman he says it in the formula
0: yeah
2: we call we we call it the sad sack that's it um anyway so he's trying to get with this um waffle house waitress Who's a, wants to be a superstar in the future? Supposedly she is a, a superstar, but that hasn't happened yet in this universe. Uh, and Elias is a black dude that he owns a business with, and so Jesus, this is so convoluted. Um, but basically, what you happens? Try
1: it. You really try it.
2: What What happens is that uh, God goes to a park with Xena finds out who he truly is, who she truly is. They are one in the same, but she is also the adversary because the adversary is obviously yourself. Uh, Um, they, they basically become one. Herb gets his, gets his girl that he wanted leaves Rebus, who's even worse in the alternate universe. And uh, everybody lives happily ever after. Until Valus Part Three. That's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm done with this.
1: <laughs> I can't take any more. That's
0: the story. <laughs> this is a tough one. I mean, I. In, in the end, there, <clears throat> it's is it Zena and so. Zena
2: and Emmanuel.
0: But pronunciations though. Belial. How do you say that? Oh, Belial. The oh of- right!
2: I totally forgot the goat part. Oh, <laughs> which is fun. Awesome. I, I'm telling you, if I didn't read it this morning, <laughs> I, I totally and, forgot. it.
0: And there's this great image in the end because the goat gets you know killed, and uh, uh, in order to make for the the technically I guess a happy ending. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> but he describes him as a kind of crashed technological kite on the top of a uh, uh, of a building at the end that they go up to. They go up to witness the rampart yeah. is wreckage. You know, it's kind of it's kind of cool uh, that. Yeah, the but head, that's, uh, that's how uh, it ends, then. Yeah,
2: I like that part. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I like the goat. I mean, the goat leads to our. <laughs> the goat is our next villain. Uh, he does a great job. Dick does a great job at leading us to the next novel.
1: Um, uh, but let me set up the themes that we're going to talk about in our discussion, and then we can just.
2: Like, and then we'll ignore them and talk about other shit.
1: <laughs> so yes. the, the the overlying <laughs> themes I have is old fashioned science fiction and world building, uh, the formula, fallus and exegesis connections, Judaism, and autobiographical, and then just funny, <laughs> funny, funny. Oh man,
2: David, <laughs> you are so ingrained in Dick's life, you cannot see a book. As a book, well, you have lost the ability to see yeah, a dick book could. as
1: just a book. Yeah, I don't. This is definitely autobiographical. So, if you don't think it that's...
2: doesn't matter, it does not matter if it's autobiographical.
0: It's still this a is book, precisely huh? the thing I'm going to be writing about. I, I might do a chapter on, fuck on David Aguilar.
2: Autobiographical,
0: <laughs> right? I don't know. What are you? What are you going to write about? So the, the book I'm working on, essentially, with I, I won't say too much, but uh, uh, it has to do with looking at the biographies, critical and creative biographies, uh, chapter devoted to each, and then a third chapter on the exegesis. Because, of course, Philip K. Dick's entire oeuvre, it, it really, because it's so autobiographical, you know, as fiction, but still, uh, technically autobiographical fiction, invites biography more than other uh, authors. Uh, in some cases, uh, everybody to some degree writes themselves into their books. But, you know, as we all know, uh, Dick really did that. So uh, what what I want to write about is kind of what David's getting at is how biographers almost invariably symptomatize uh, fill the man via his fiction. Right. Right. And, which is both. Problematic and agential in various ways. That's it. Yeah, I, uh, it does work in 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 yeah totally in some fashion. Sure, and sure. it doesn't mean I'm not, it's not a critique of the biographies. I'm actually it's actually uh, uh, I think the biographies as a whole are really good. Uh, um, right. Not that many bad ones. Even I, I'm really coming to like Ags uh, uh, Divine <laughs> Madness. Divine Madness. Who who, who wrote it again? Because uh, I, right. I, I was. I wrote a bad review for the Los Angeles review of books of that. That was too really harsh. Okay. So I'm going to give him a pat on the ass when I. Uh,
2: no, no, fuck that.
0: <laughs> I like harsh. I know. I mean, I'm, I'm a big I fan of
1: harsh. He just but got won over by the
0: book. Were, what, that?
1: <laughs> you got won over by the book in the second reading. <laughs> just admit it. All right. Well, so listen, autobiographical yeah. is way down the end. And actually we did most of that in the writing publication history. So we can that sure. can fuck off. <laughs> That's fine. We, it can fuck off
2: for now. No, I, I, th- I think it's something worth talking about. I mean, discussing, like we. we
1: and we do discussing,
2: yeah. Because, because when this I
1: looking at it now, I this realize. is something that all podcasts
2: that talk about Phil K. Dick they inevitably do every time is talk about how the books are related to his life yep. and how important that is to the books, but very. Very seldom does anybody talk about the books as as novels, as artifacts is, in and of themselves. Yeah, which yeah. I think is why people tune in to us is because we have that perspective coming from writers is talking about books as books, you know, okay. like the structure and the the style and all those things. But right, also
1: so separating it from that life, autobiographical me, aspect. You can electro shock me,
0: but no. I mean, his <laughs> his life is it, it's it's like biographical criticism in general is really interesting. I love it and biography and all of that. But there's just you know we're all writers. I mean, but and I'm look, bold, I can't I'm I can't name I can't name one of
2: my favorite writers that isn't autobiographical. Yeah, like right, right. Ken Kesey, uh, uh, Kerouac, I've mentioned um, all those people write autobiographically. And and lead you to basically reading their autobiographies or biographies of them. So, I mean, uh, it, this is no different. It's just it's science fiction, and we don't expect that in science fiction.
0: And and actually, these like the the um, the vine invade. What's the what's the technical name for the trilogy, or the most uh, uh, frequently used name for the trilogy? Ballast trilogy. This is a ballast trilogy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh,
1: I- You know, because
0: of his fetishism, I guess we could call it a fetish, with Gnosticism, uh, in his, you know, kind of real life in various ways, that really, I mean, every time I read a book, I do, I want to read it biographically, that's the thing, Hmm. Uh, and that's why, that's one of the reasons I, I, although... Eggs and a certain, another David are the ones who even came up with this idea for me in about 15 seconds. I was like, What do you guys want me to do? <laughs> they're like, why do you do this? And I'm like, All right. And then I'm, I'm totally into it. And it's all I can think about for the last month.
1: Right. Well, yeah,
0: these, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Well, yeah, because you basically came to us and said, What do you want us to, what do you want me to write? Yeah. And then... I'm
0: go- I am I want to be told what to do. That's what I mean. <laughs> hey, I'm the same way. I love it.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> all right. So, officially AP bio style begin fucking off autobiography we can move on we can just talk about it as a book um and one of the first things that I love and noticed about this novel is that um this is science fiction again and after reading Vallis, like this is hilariously out of date weird like surreal Science fiction. It might as well have been written in the fifties or sixties. There's nothing eighties science fiction about this book. He's doing absolutely zero to update the science, the settings, the name. the dialogue, and yeah. really some of the key things that I underlined and just loved in the like in the first couple pages. First of all, the synth of womb is fucking hilarious. <laughs> the um. The name of the planet being CY30-CY30P, I love, um, and basically the whole um, kind of cryolab thing that you you have here, um, and especially one of the things and really great pieces of world building in the beginning, and probably one of my favorite things in this book altogether, is Sky or Fry. The idea that there's this phrase that you either, you either go live in space
2: Sky or fry.
1: You either sky or fry, says the government <laughs> T V commercials. Because you're either gonna stay here and die And he no wrote war. this
2: in a post draft world. Yeah. I mean this isn't a this isn't a time where people were drafted.
1: Again, it's Phil just being out of touch and being out of date and writing a book that this could have Easily, this book, if you didn't know it was written in 1980, you could have easily thought this book was written in the 60s.
2: Yeah, yep. the 60s, definitely. Yeah.
1: Easily. There's nothing identifying it. I mean, it
2: basically is a 60s sci-fi book.
1: <laughs> it is. And yeah. that is one of the things that I do really like about this. Book. And the Sky, I mean, what are... or, the Sky or Fry thing is absolutely one of my favorite things of the book. And I like it. like he stole
2: of, it from Heinlein. It's absolutely one, something he would do.
1: And here's one of the things I like about Sky or Fry is because, and this goes back to the formula and then we'll talk about this a little bit later, but like your subhuman, every man character always has to, whether it's galactic pot healer where he doesn't have money for his or bed. boss to heal. Yeah. He doesn't have money for the bed. And then one of the books, I think it's Frolic's A, he doesn't, he doesn't have a coin to open his door to get out. There's oh, right. Always, <laughs> right. So there's always some kind of ridiculous sign that you're broke, that you're lower than life, that you have no money. And the government commercials for Sky or Fry is just such a 60s PKD thing. And it feels like PKD, like free scanner free flow. My tears like it, it's an awesome regression
2: is what i'm saying yeah, yeah. i i i can see that
1: yeah, yeah. and I although the it. although
2: the you know the religious ideas are very like progressive of of the time like uh, the questioning and the and the splitting off from the mainstream of religion that was very popular in the early 80s so
1: well, and think about how far he's able to have come in the sense of when when he did Eye in the Sky, Wolheim didn't even allow him to write about Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. he had to do this really awkward thing about the Bible. Well thematically
2: and- thematically he's always been sort of right there. Yeah. You know, talking about those things. But this one he he goes off the deep end. And I I love that about this book. Yep.
0: Yeah. I mean okay, he so- books like this. I get more interested because, you know, I I was raised Christian, but give me a break. But books (laughs) like this uh, uh, really inspire. I want to become religious, but I like this, you know, the Gnosticism with the evil gods. and I mean, it's more like a kind of old school mythology. Yeah, it's uh, Norse or Greek
2: in its scope, you know. Totally. And I think that's, well, I think that's part of what they were trying to do, the Gnostics, was... You know, draw in the the multiple god, you know the right polytheistic idea, idea that people around the world had.
1: Um,
2: what about the I, aliens?
1: The rat-like uh, autocrons, or autocrons I yeah, they're not the only aliens in there, but they're like some of the more prominent ones. And um,
0: Clem too. Now, are, are those aliens? Clem the Clem C L E M.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so one of the things I like about this is, and Phil has has always done this, whether it's Frolics Eight or the World Jones made, he he does interesting, weird aliens that are not humanoid. And you know, is they
2: well, they're they're robotic, right? They're like robot aliens somehow.
1: You no, know, I think they're rat-like, aren't they? That that that. Hold on, I've got them right here. Like the Transformers. Uh, yeah
0: kind of Autobots and Decepticons
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah Eh. anyways well they're interesting Um, (laughs) but they uh, you know one of the other things that one of the crutches and one of the regressions that he had in this book too is going back to like there's odd tapes so a-u-d dash t-a-p-e-s odd tapes right and like so just like the homeopapes and like the different, you know, con apps and things right? Where he just takes two words and combines them. Because future- shortens
2: them and combines them. Yeah. It's basically his technique.
1: Yeah. In the future we will not be able to say two words. We have to combine them. <laughs> um and uh I like that there's domes that you know, you have to dial into the mothership. Um I like the mention of soap opera. The soap operas on form a lot um, was really great, um, and uh, you know, there's flying ca- flying um, cabs, and there's an alien zoo in this book. So there's lots of fun and weird, interesting.
0: Wait, and, and in those in that soap opera, isn't there like a? Isn't it gory? There's gore. Yeah. What, well, that's a. The soap opera is actually
2: what's happening in uh, Elias's mind. Really? Like, there's some blend. Yeah. That she's seeing, that is his mind.
1: It's his mind's version is, of the is that his mind's
2: version of a soap opera or something.
1: Yeah, but, but the soap opera exactly? exists, but he's seen his version of it, right? Like right. So there are soap operas on form a lot. It's just he's but she's, having a delusion. But oh, she's oh, having okay. a specific,
0: yeah. I see. It's That's why there's a
1: giant spider
2: that comes out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay.
1: Right, and um, so that gets kind of freaky and stuff. But I loved, I I loved that was one like fun world building thing that was in there. And uh, there's two that we need to talk about before we can move on. Um, and that is uh, on page 49. There's the mention of the Christian Islamic Church and scientific legate um and this is a, should have had a
2: bigger role I mean
1: right and it's really interesting to see like what he's kind of projecting in this future is, is that like all these old Western religions will just kind of like slowly combine which is interesting because
2: yeah become a giant theocracy with which like, is bureaucracy behind
1: it which is somewhat Baha'i faithish which you know he was forced to write about in eye in the sky but like one of the interesting things about like that whole thing is that it's kind of an offhanded mention. And I agree with you, Larry, that it seems like it should have played a bigger role. And you can see in in my copy, I highlighted and underlined that and was like thinking this was going to be like a big deal. And it really wasn't as much of a big deal.
2: It was, it's just another one of those things that he abandoned. I mean, we had this great, a dynamic between the two leaders trying to take over and and them spying on each other and I thought that was I thought that was great but then like ultimately it comes down to okay it's a police state they have a hard time getting through customs that's it that's <laughs> the 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 entire effect of that
1: right um and the last thing on on the world building and then I'll for me. And then I'll open it up if there's any other world building you guys want to talk about. But um, and this is a big one. And this is one that um, uh, David and uh, Gil and I are, are talking about in our our ongoing thread, which is that in this book, there's a there's a yeah, D- uh, his name is Big D. Big D. <laughs> the big D. Right. I'll be little D. I don't care. Um, so you're, you're David. He's Big D. Gil is Gil. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, the thing is, we're talking about this because Gil is working on an article about um, Phil predicting Chat GPT. um, Oh, that salon
0: article, right?
1: Yeah. uh, For salon. And um, because (laughs) the opening chapter of the penultimate truth is basically um, Chat GPT. Um, (laughs) And because it's a speech writer using predictive text and AI to write a speech. And, 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 uh, but when we were talking about it, uh, I brought up the fact because I was preparing this show that the AI in this book, big noodle, which is a great name for the AI, uh, right. <laughs> that big noodle, um, because of the Linda Fox. And we know Linda Fox is that, that Phil was a giant, Linda Ronstadt fan. And Linda Fox is just a Linda Ronstadt stand- blonde version. Yeah. And so then-
2: uh, Side note, Big Noodle is just a repeat of one of the computers in uh, uh, Vulcan's Hammer.
1: Right, right. Vulcan's Hammer has a lot of that too, yeah. So on page 89, Big Noodle had first imagined the Fox. The AI system had invented her, told her what to sing, how to sing it. Big Noodle set up her arrangements, even down to mixing. And the package was a complete success. Big Noodle had correctly analyzed the emotional needs of the colonists and had come up with a formula to meet those needs. The AI system maintained an ongoing survey, deriving feedback. When the needs changed, Linda Fox changed. It constituted it. Constituted a closed loop. If suddenly the colonists disappeared. Linda Fox would wink out of existence. Big Noodle would have canceled her. Like paper run through a paper shredder. And so this made me think of. When I was like preparing the notes for today. It made me think of the AI ch- chatbots that designed a collaboration between Drake and The Weeknd. And it caused like. A huge lawsuit and these musicians were like you know because it really did sound like they had created a song which you know give it to musicians like john zorn or somebody who could fool an ai
2: <laughs> right and, and, a, i i see what you're saying david but the you're right like real musicians i'm i'm sorry to say that but real musicians <laughs> you couldn't do that with you're not going to combine, you know, you, I mean, maybe they could, but uh, I don't think they could combine Frank Zappa and, uh, I don't know, think of someone else,
1: John Leo Norman. Kotke.
2: Well, oh, there's uh, certain
1: musicians that I'm like, I mean, I think you could teach an AI chatbot to write a Foo Fighter song. but Yeah, but they're pop.
2: I mean, that's the whole point.
1: Right. But, I mean, if you want somebody to – design a machine to write a dead Kennedy song. I don't know that they could. Right. Have you,
0: you, know? have you guys yeah. actually tried to, like I've had the, the chat bot write a story by me and you know, I'll write a story by D. Aaron Was Lillen. it good? Was it good? Of course not. Uh, I'm no, no. sure. <laughs> right. But, but no, I mean it, what it did, obviously there's nothing in terms of, cause I, I foreground style over content, I think. But, uh, it identified basically a lot of the main themes in my writing, most of which belong to Philip K. Dick too. And then it just strings them together in a coherent way. So it's kind of a bland story, but it was really kind of cool and interesting, I must admit. Yeah, I mean, they're smart and sharp, that AI. Yeah, yeah. Or the Uh, chat. Yeah,
1: Lisa Lisa Yazik said on on postcards that she can always tell when a student's turned in a-
0: Oh, oh my God. Okay. They're yeah, way, they're way problem. smarter than my students. Way smart. I tell my <laughs> students, I'm like, don't even try. Yeah, because <laughs> you don't, they way don't even smarter know.
1: Than you. Uh,
0: yeah. They don't even know what words they're using. That's the thing. Students who turn in uh, uh, essays written by AIs, they, if you put, if you sit them down and say, hey, tell me about your essay, but it, but it, but
1: So, but the point is, is that Phil. I kind of nailed it with big noodle, uh, yeah. in this scene. Now, big noodle, um, isn't just mentioned in the book for Linda Ronstadt reasons. Um, there's a, uh, on page 83, it talks about all the, uh, um, oh, it's
2: searching for God, which is amazing.
1: Yeah. The AI, like all it's, the philosophers that, um, that, uh, big computer
2: Google searching is. for God It's very Douglas Adams.
0: I
1: mean, yeah, yeah
0: that, that, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally.
1: Yeah. Uh, Big Noodle with the idea of resurrecting the long discredited ontolo- ontological ontological proof. <laughs> ontological proof of the existence of God, right? And so this to me, I mean, we, like, obviously, I thought the Linda Ronstadt thing was funny. But the, the biggest and most important thing that Big Noodle does in this book is is a computer searching for God. And yes. yes
2: and identifies God. Yeah. And it's not. <laughs> and then wants to kill season, God. But, you know,
1: but it, it's 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 a moment that some people might not notice in this book, but it's a really important moment, especially mm-hmm. in Phil's oeuvre that he has a moment where a computer discovers God like what is more transitional for what phil's doing at the end of his career and writing to have a computer find god right and so right. It's,
2: i mean it's the ultimate ultimate act of defiance against nature is for a computer to identify and want to destroy god Yep. i mean that's a uh, that you can't come up with anything more pkd than a computer wants to destroy the actual thing that gave us life in the first place.
1: Well, and also, like, think about what this means in Phil's oeuvre that he has a, a just the idea of, like, a scientific machine, right? Like, finding the divine. And for him, you know... Are you he,
2: saying it's more of a combination of things?
1: Because well, well, I, I see-
2: think it's the exact opposite.
1: Well, what I think is interesting about it is a lot of science fiction writers who are more secular, right, are are not going to come to this conclusion. But Phil, after a lifetime of writing about machines and empathy and do machines have empathy and do understand them. I think the importance of the divine invasion and what Phil's doing is underrated by this very important scene where a machine finds god it's part of phil's journey fictionally it's it's
2: it's not just the finding it's wanting i mean you can't i can't detach it from wanting to immediately destroy it it's only searching for it so it can destroy it
1: sure sure
2: i mean that's that's the only purpose it's not like it's has some epiphany and wants to be a greater being it just wants it wants to be the best being ever so it needs to kill god
0: and it and it's it's important you brought up earlier this dynamic that most science fiction writers engage with at some point but especially Philip K Dick again and again between culture specifically techno culture of which big noodle is a manifestation and nature and and any form of culture is just a creation of humanity right, right. <clears throat> literally and metaphorically stems from our bodies. Culture is technology, right? Low and high. Someone like a, 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 you know a, a Gnostic God machine. Nature's a threat. Mm. Nature could uh, undermine it in some capacity. So you want to wipe everything clear so you dominate. Right. Yeah.
2: That. <laughs> I
0: mean that's a again and again.
2: Ultimately, that's the the argument for computers taking over or robots taking over humanity is that. You know we're inefficient, yeah. and we we wouldn't be able to function properly like they could. So
1: well, and think about thing. this moment and what it means philosophically for Phil, because you know there's so much written about the philosophy of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and and uh, and I I'm just finishing up reading Philip K. Dick and Philosophy, which was a book that came out right around the time that Adjustment Bureau came out. So there's like. A ridiculous okay. amount of Adjustment mm-hmm. Bureau essays. Um,
0: is, and, is that and, one of those open press books?
1: Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. I, grab it, I, have it up. I might
0: even have it back.
1: Somewhere. Yeah, and there's a couple <laughs> really good essays in here.
0: Oh, yeah. But you,
1: I did. Yeah, but you could tell that there's a certain number of essays that are read, written by people who, like, have seen the movies and read oh. the books that correspond with the movies but, like, haven't read anything else. And then there's a couple essays in here where, like, Dudes are going deep on Solar Lottery, and those are better, right? And, <laughs> and uh, those, book,
0: those books are always touch and go. You always have some essays that are weak, pretty weak, and some that are pretty strong. Yeah. And, uh.
1: and um, the editor, uh, D.E. Uh, Wittenauer, I've talked to uh, before, okay. and I like him a lot. So he's a really cool philosopher, but um, and want to have him on the show sometime. But, you know, there's a couple of these essays in here that are just like, They're talking about the philosophy of the adjustment bureau for forever. And then we have this scene that's so important to Phil's ideas with the big noodle and the killing of God and a machine finding God. That is a a philosophical moment and divine invasion that deserves to get like a lot more, um, you know thought or study but it's just it's just funny that you know we have like a million essays on you know the void Kampf test and here's a, here's a moment in phil's like like one of his last books the second to last book he finished and he's talking about a machine wanting to kill god uh that's a moment Right, that that's a moment we could probably spend a lot more time talking about. And what does it say? What is Phil saying by not only does a machine discover God, but wants wants to kill it? Right? You know, I don't know. I I just I, I find that endlessly fascinating. As as and, as,
0: and the as, thing is with with do androids? I mean, it's the, the for, you mentioned the void con contest and yeah. how often he's written about. It. I mean, all that shit's from because of Blade Runner. Uh, yeah. I th- I think New Androids is a fine book, but it's not as best by by any means. It's somewhere in the middle, I think. And it, I, if I were rating things, I don't know if I put that in the top. I wouldn't put it in the top five. Maybe the top ten. I don't know.
1: Well, I'm I, an it, animal rights guy, so it means a okay. lot. It, it works for me.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, right. Well, there is work. a lot of that. That's for sure. And that's kind of, that's what was removed from Blade Runner. All that stuff, you know. Yeah. With, with the alternate world and and the um, you know foregrounding the animals. And right.
1: Well, and that's the thing is like it all depends on what what you like. Like Larry and Anthony weren't huge fans of Man in the High Castle, and I fucking love Man in the High Castle, and I think it's you know easily one of his best. But you know, like Anthony was was bored out of his mind reading it, and you know just couldn't get into the themes. But that is what it is. Um. Uh, but yeah. So anything else on world building? I think well, world I, building. Is- other than
2: there wasn't too much of it like we 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 sort of got a sense we got a sense of the uh of the planet that they were on um we didn't really get a sense of earth the real earth that we're we're supposed to be on other than the airport and the school like there's not much else to it than that but the alternate world we got like tons of details on like we know what new york is like we know what the uh the stereo store is like we know what the west coast is like we 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 got a lot and that cop scene was amazing can yeah. i just say
0: oh yeah when he when he convinces <laughs> he, he like, convinces that he changed the he changes the cops he talks him out of it right he talks him out of, <laughs> out of makes, arresting him Oh, and he makes the cop like thank him or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> At the end, the cop's
2: like, I'm out of this. <laughs> like, you you yeah. do what you want.
0: <laughs> you know, you're t- uh, um, you mentioned how there's a lot of jumping around and, and uh, um, uh, not only is that spatially, but it's temporally too, right? Uh, it mm-hmm. starts out, don't we jump to, uh, um, backwards in time or is it forwards? When well, we, we jump in, back. Uh, we jump back when we go
2: into the uh, the death chamber, whatever it's cryo. Right.
0: Chamber. Okay, that's the you jump backwards. Yeah. Got it. But then, you know, isn't aren't there a few of those leaps that we make? But there's there's not a lot of uh, signage for those leaps. He just yeah. kind of dives in there. Yeah.
1: Well, one of the things that I've kind of noticed when I now that I'm looking back on all of it is that Phil always has grand ideas for world building in the first two chapters. And then he gets lazy with it. And that goes back to what Jeter was saying about like, you know, how it becomes structure or formless. And so like one of the things when I've been joking about writing, you know, APKD, APKD novel is that you start (laughs) off. I thought he was
0: going to fall asleep there.
1: uh, (laughs) Yeah. If you're writing a PKD novel, uh, you start off with tons of world building and then get bored of it later, you know. And like, or you know, because he does a lot of setup early on. Some of the books, I think he sticks with it more. Like, I think I'd Ultimate. say like an Ultimate Truth, or Three Stigmata, or Two Androids. Like he sticks with the world building.
2: Well, see, I think Ganymede Takeover is like the best one that that has all that throughout. Yeah, and that may be Ray Nelson influence, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, I, I think, it, it, yeah, both of both of his uh, books he did with other people are like the best world building.
0: Do you guys think that, well, I'm sure you know the, I would think you know the answer, I don't know. I prefer <laughs> this sort of uh, more chaotic narrative, wherein he starts off, you know, uh, uh, like we talked about before, Straight, uh, 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 there are plot points, characters. He's building something, so forth, and then it just becomes this, uh, um, this uh, dynamic for me anyway. This dynamic sort of narrative fuckery, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and seriously, that can go in any direction, and you never know where it's going to go.
1: Narrative fuckery,
0: <laughs> right? And, and the, I, uh, I see what case. you're
2: saying. I, I personally fucking hate it. <laughs> oh, yeah?
0: I like to be confused when i'm reading unfortunately i guess but uh, uh but I, I don't mind that as but, long as the author Rutgers, as long as we'll the author knows later. where he's going that's what well, I well, care that's about. my question you don't think that it was he just kind of sitting down and trying to get this thing done or is it all is it deliberate i don't Full. i don't think
2: any of it is deliberate i really? think it's just like i have an idea i know what i'm doing at the beginning oh fuck now what I, what do i do really
1: yeah I think so. uh, he,
2: he doesn't even between sessions of writing he doesn't remember like yeah. where he was or what he was doing. he will just start a new chapter and it'll be a, basically a different book. <laughs> well, in some of those in, in some novels it's it's like that. Yeah.
1: Ubik. Yeah. Ubik was meant to be something entirely different.
0: One thing and it totally like flipped which is why that's probably my favorite.
1: <laughs> well, Ubik starts with, I mean, he does tr- like, and it, and that's why I did a whole chapter on it for unfinished, is that, you know, he had a whole different novel plan, and you can see, the things where he's like, okay, I'm more interested in this Half Life stuff. Yeah. And I the corporate spy stuff that I planned a whole novel of.
2: But that's um, uh, that's also I I can see what you're saying, Big D. Yeah. is that uh, it is exciting to see where his mind goes. Yeah. What's interesting Absolutely. to him
0: at the time. Yes. I'm very interested in that for sure. Yep.
2: And I hate to bring it back to Kerouac, but I'm going to. Because <laughs> Kerouac didn't believe in any kind of editing. Yeah. So he, he just wrote everything all at once, and that was what it was. And that... I mean, it's almost the same thing with Dick, because whether there's an editor or not, he's still like, this is what I'm writing here. This is what I'm writing here. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And, and one of the amazing things about him, too, just to add, then I'll shut up, is that he's so prolific. He worked with so many publishers and these books are crazy. I, mm-hmm. Like, How about this? I, I take crazy back. They are largely, let's say, uh, um, you know, bird's eye view, unstructured, right? And that's not what publishers like. How did he get away with all of this, you know? I mean, and he's still doing it here at the end of his career.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. It is crazy. He had people that believed in him, (laughs) and obviously there's people who connected to it. And the more that people connected to it, the more publishers are going to say, fine.
0: Right? No, I mean, there's something about it. You can't deny it.
1: Right. It's it's, –
2: I'm going to say it's uh, Tarantino-like, because Tarantino can make a movie that's, like, fucking five hours long, and it'll have three scenes that are incredible, like, nothing you've ever seen. Yeah. You're going to remember those three scenes. The rest of the movie is going to go fall away in your mind. You're not even going to remember that it was three what? hours of fucking Jackie Brown, <laughs> you know? You're just going to remember those like, scenes. Jackie Brown. And that's sort of what's You didn't like I like what that I movie remember. Is terrible. Was, Go back and watch it. Tell me how long it is. And, and <laughs> I like that.
0: One of the only things I remember De Niro shooting what's her name in the in the parking lot. That's in the parking one. lot, yep. we'll
2: yep. exactly. <laughs> or like the war them watching that uh, uh video about the uh the people selling weapons
0: Right.
2: Stuff. You know, it, it seems like that that stick. But he he basically just does nonsense for like most of his movies, but then there's those scenes that really stick in your mind. And that's what Dick does too. Dick writes these scenes, you're like, that's fucking incredible. I can't believe that i read something this great. And then you're like, oh God, now I'm with this sad sack again, sure. doing nothing at all for like 100 pages. You know,
0: it,
1: it's it's that kind well, of a thing.
0: He's trying to get you to empathize with sad sex, sad life. <laughs>
1: Well, in, in some I'll of the moments... has been 40
0: novels. This, we, I
2: haven't done it yet.
1: <laughs> right. Well, in some of the moments in this book that stand out, uh, Big Noodle, like, God, you've got your... The, the, the whole Dome intro is so evocative of, like, old-school sci-fi, so that sticks in your mind. And then also...
2: And also see, Isolation. It does a great job with Isolation.
1: Yeah. Which Dick writes Isolation great um and you know which shouldn't be a surprise and then um and then i think some of the other the scene with the cop and the scene where hilarious yes and the questioning that scene where reality where where the fake out on reality happens towards the end where it's like wait this could all be bullshit right remember
0: well there's where, one after another of those
1: yeah it's uh page 192 and it's uh and I wrote down what is reality scene on, t- on my page. And it's, uh, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe in unreal worlds. There is only one cosmos and Jehovah God created it. I don't hmm. think anyone creates a fake universe, Herb said, since it isn't there. But you're saying someone is causing us to see a fake universe that doesn't exist. Who is this? Oh, this is someone? when he's talking to Elias? Yeah. And he said, save huh. And then uh, later on the... Towards the bottom of the page, there's some yada yada ape of God, blah blah blah. And then could the memories be false? I know they're not. How do you know? I trust the pink I trust the beam of pink light. Why? I don't know. And that's oh shit, I'm gonna get buzzed. <laughs> <It's yada> flag- <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know, that's the uh you know the pink beam, but it's like what, what they're doing there is, and this is, uh, there's a great essay about this in in, the, in this book, about how, you know, Phil's, like, ultimate thing is, you know, our questioning of reality, and it's like, here it is, like, but where it's important is that Phil was constantly telling people, this is what I think happened with the pink bean, but I could be totally full of shit, and it was important to have a moment where he has the character saying, this could all be bullshit. <laughs> I trust it, but it could be all. Well, be
2: obviously, he was full of shit because he was high as fuck on drugs and.
1: Well, supposedly clean in 1974, but.
2: No, he was on the. the wasn't he on the medication? Oh, the
1: painkiller, yeah. Yeah. Like
2: yeah. That.
0: yeah that Wait, happen. David, isn't there a climax here that I think appears at. I can't find it. It appears after page one, where you just took us 192. Yeah. Where he specifically, because the pink light comes up three or four times. And there's yeah. one paragraph there where he unpacks it. And it's like the climactic, one climax, I guess. If On can...
1: 204, there's the, <laughs> I will transmute your world into the real. I have already begun. I've manifested myself to Herb Asher when you kissed him. So he's like kind of making the world real. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I'll keep looking. If I find it, I'll let you know. Yeah, look for, look for uh, it. Yeah. I, I, I want to talk about the uh, non-sex scene.
1: Well, we'll get there. We'll get there in a little bit. Okay, so one thing I do want to say about the formula is that the the formula based on the Ron Goulart letter um, is their um, page. Uh, I think even her, her having MS and him being in isolation, being alone, the whole, like, having to listen to Fiddler on the roof and all that. Herb doesn't like,
2: have MS. Oh.
1: Ribes. Ribis. <laughs> yeah. Rivas. Rivas. Okay. Ribis. You're right.
2: <laughs> um,
1: oh, dead. He's all, although he's dead. He got
2: in, MS from God.
1: Right. He's already dead and in chronic uh, suspension. That's what I was thinking of. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well... One thing that's um, interesting on the formula is that, and I wanted to get to this, that Herb and Doris, or not Doris, uh, uh, what's the character who's based on Doris? Um, Revis? Revis. They kind of sort of both represent the subhuman character that gets introduced in the first chapter of all, uh, according to the formula. And then the second chapter, you have your, usually you have your person that works for the government or works for the corporation. And in this case, it's kind of Yah, you know, it, it's God itself mm. who's kind of like in that position. In you don't, you,
2: you don't think it's the government, like leaders, that represent that.
1: Um, and it
2: just happened later, a little bit later.
1: It could be. Um, I have it as page thirty-one with the introduction of. In, in my notes, I have page thirty-one with Yah um, as the kind of introduction of that. Of the, uh, well, Yah
2: is kind of a villain. I mean, well, when you look at it, uh, giving a woman, you know, an
0: illness to take her from one place to another. Cited yeah. as a volcanic deity. The bottom of thirty-one.
1: Well, and so here's the thing: is that the the person of power is sometimes a protagonist, sometimes the antagonist in these books so it's just that they get introduced second basically behind the other characters part of the way it works in the formula
2: no so it doesn't have any bearing on anything (laughs) Um, order of introduction
1: but one of the things about i think too is that you have herb as far as the subhuman character thing his living in this dome this dome off earth and like um like the fact that they have to like fake this fake m they have to have the ms and the pregnancy to try to get back to earth these that's the kind of thing of like where you have like popular where he's got to get the job otherwise he's in trouble or you know um you know it's like if you look through all these books you can find the character that has to make the money to do this thing or to have this job to to move forward um kind of brain farting on some of them where where he breaks that, out of that formula um sometimes like high castle doesn't really have that formula but um and valis doesn't really have that formula but most of the books have that and so this one does in that regard game players
2: of titan that's a good one that has yeah. it
1: Oh, and um, I did have in my notes the fake reality comes back up on page 220.
2: I'd I still say the formula is a bunch of bullshit, but.
1: Well, I know you think that. But, and that's fine. <laughs> you can think that. You, um, yeah. And uh, so, oh, and I have on page t- uh, 224, I put a note, uh, Joan Sonoma uh, next to the scene where her basher is like lifting off to go be with Linda Fox. And he says it's the happiest period of my life. This is definitely him writing about Sonoma and Joan. And um, and then.
2: Well, it's fucking nonsense in the book, I think.
1: Yeah. And I, mean,
2: I, I the the whole relationship between him and and the girl is just sad. Yeah. After and... that initial meeting, where it's like, oh, she's not everything I thought she was. And then they go to have sex and they, she's like, oh, I can't tonight. I'm on my period. And he's like, oh, okay. It's right. just, isn't it like, isn't it sad? It's totally. not just me, right? It's it's written. It's pathetic, That's yeah. the saddest it's thing one thing after ever.
0: another. It's like you guys. Why'd you even, didn't he talk himself <laughs> over there too? He's like, I'm coming over. She said, no. Yeah.
2: Right. It, it just, uh, it, 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 oh, it's like all set up like they're, They're going through the motions of like meeting and having a relationship, but not nothing is organic about it. It just feels so contrived and and not by the not by Dick, but by the characters.
0: What do you think he was? Was he was? Is that an instance of because, you know, we've seen this character again and again. Was he just kind of I don't
2: know. Maybe that's uh, one of David's things where it's like that's what it was like for him. Yeah. You know, that's what Dick saw that relationship
0: as. The thing is, though, I get the sense when Dick saw a woman that he, (laughs) sounds funny. When Dick (laughs) saw a woman that he liked, he became in command of himself, I think. I think he he became very dynamic, at least from what I've read about. Who knows? But doubtless somebody closer to him. uh, Because, you know, he was all about the. Well, he was
2: obviously charming. I mean, he was. Right,
0: right. He could turn on that charm, I think, when he wanted to. Unlike how Herb. It's Herb, right? Yeah. (laughs) Unlike Herb when he goes over to her dome. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think that's when that wears off. Herb is terrible all the time. So,
0: we're talking about autobiographical things here. You should be.
1: (laughs) I know. And I think the cop scene, by the way, getting back to what you were saying, um, Big D, uh, is that. where he tests reality is actually the cop scene. And that's why the cop scene where it's funny, but it's actually him testing reality. So it, it's more than right. just a funny scene. And, um, I think, Oh that's yeah. It, that's right. he's like, yeah. It's funny though. It, because it's, funny. Funny. it's not real. I don't
0: care. And he scares those, the cops get scared. That's the thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the cop says he's going to take him into and he custody. takes the gun. <laughs> yeah. The cop says, I'm going to take you into custody. And he says, you can't, i'm in i'm in cry cryotic su- suspension watch i'll put my hand through you he reached out and touched the cop his hand met solid armored flesh that's strange said he pressed harder and then realized all at once the cop held a pointed gun at him you want to bet about the cryotic suspension no <laughs> right no um but then eventually he convinces him and he, and he uh, narks on himself. Uh, the plan to smuggle God back to Earth. In my wife's womb, it succeeded. That's why there's a warrant out for me. The crime I committed was smuggling God back to Earth, where the evil one rules. The evil one secretly controls everyone and everything. For example, you're working for the evil one. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, it just and then breaks. he's like,
2: I'm going to L.A. Oh, I shouldn't have told him that. <laughs> right
0: let's see here at the end of this scene though herb herb is like empowered mm-hmm. so it, it, because just a uh, page 218 as the cop ungrappled his vehicle from herb asher's he said a strange thing pray for me mr asher i will herb asher said that that's how i kind of read it there <laughs> at first it's the cop was like hey fucker pull over right but then <laughs> at the end he's like pay for me yeah
1: <laughs> all right um And the dispatcher is
2: the same thing what happens (laughs) what's going on we'll arrest him oh you can't (laughs) oh it's uh, the this isn't real that makes sense
1: (laughs) (laughs) so um obviously there's a lot of valus and exegesis connections um i like on page 17 that the rats worshipped yah first the little the rat creature guys um i don't
2: i don't know about the rat part but um, it's page
1: yeah. 17, and it's uh, in the old days before humans immigrated to CY30-CY30b star system. The Autochronic population worshipped a mountain deity named Ya, whose abode the Autochrons, a- 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 or whatever they're called, had yeah, explained was a, a little name. mountain on which Herb Dasher's dome had been erected. So that yeah, the the, the rat guys worshipped.
2: Yeah, first. Yeah, see, see, I'm not getting the rat guys.
1: <laughs> That's what the, the the auto auto A-U-T-O-C-H-T.
2: I'm going to let our our audience. Fix that one for us.
1: Uh, is that? Yeah. Are those rat guys? I think they're rat guys. I thought
0: they were robotic. I don't see it. This is on page 17.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: Love his edition.
1: Yeah, oh. I, I've got the the Mariner.
0: Oh, got it. Sorry. Okay. Poor so, man
2: has the Mariner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, Give him a break. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then I would just move on to saying that um, the first and largest reference to uh, Valis and the actual naming of the vast active living intelligence system is on page 69. There's reference to Mother nice yeah and uh, then uh, there's the whole thing about the reality genu- generator and then for whatever reason when I read this on page 70 I had written this is the point uh, to the, the whole point of the film is it's a study of the power of illusion so apparently when I was 70 pages in I thought that was the point and I wrote Ooh. that that was months ago, so I don't know why I wrote that, necessarily. But the, but what was being said was the whole point of the film is it's a study of the power of illusion. So are we studying the power of illusion here? Um, is that what we're, we're doing? But, but I think here we're getting the K.W. Jetter characters. I think we're getting that, maybe. I don't know, what do you guys think?
0: I think every, I mean, yeah, we're studying the power of illusion is there any truth anywhere in any form yeah i mean it's just it's a similar it's a similar question like the degree to which fiction empowers reality right uh fictions of our minds uh and the fictions that and the illusions rather that let's limit it to the divine invasion or just you know philip k dick in general well, the,
2: i mean i can i can say by personal example that uh, you know illusion is life is because I I was I was brought up by TV, I didn't have like dynamic parents, I had, I had television, so I learned how to shave by Danny Glover doing it in a <laughs> lethal, uh, lethal Weapon. Yeah, you know, uh, like the TV dads were were my sort of version of dads. Right. So I learned my moral lessons from them. So yeah, uh, illusion is reality in a certain
0: in a certain way. And, and you're talking that's the nature of media culture that's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, illusion even powers the way we view the world. We we only view the world through our own subjectivities. I don't know what you're what you well, Especially saying. nowadays with uh, the internet
2: trying to Totally. Yeah, that's another layer. Yeah, for sure. And it, it, I'm internet based and my family is very TV based. Mm. So we have
0: totally different views of what the world is. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And that's, I think, that's what we could argue that uh, a Philip K. Dick, as an author, was uh, searching for a truth that doesn't exist, but he was determined to find it. In any case, but and he thought it came through books, like uh, like
2: knowledge of the past. But the past is the same. I mean, that isn't that the whole well, problem we're we're finding it's regression, like... right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all the same sort of knowledge. is It's it, it it's not fact based. It's all opinion based. So,
0: and in well, in his of course in the stories he invents, or or makes literal. You know, um, uh, uh, we're talking about metaphorical illusions ultimately. Yeah, yeah, He makes them literal, right? In his science fiction, right. Uh, uh, in addition to uh, all of the the the. Metaphorical is a wrong word, but I'm gonna stick with it. Uh, (laughs) Metaphorical illusions that empower us and and empower him in daily life, you know? Or disempowered for that matter. David, sorry, I interrupted
1: you. No, 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 you didn't. Um, On page 100 is, I think, a really key part two And this. There was one K.W. Jeter quote that I didn't put in here, but where he was, I believe he was asked like what Divine Invasion was about. It was like around the time it was being written in some interview. And he said that he kept talking about how it's it's a book about a guy that thinks he was Beethoven. Oh, yeah. And and he talks about, like, how important this Beethoven thing is. And that's on page 100 of the Mariner edition um, is the scene where God basically says, oh, yeah, I was all I was Thomas Paine. I was Beethoven. I was all these many people in history. And what's really interesting on, on, on this page is, is that, for whatever reason, K.W. Jeter, who was talking to Phil when he was writing it a lot, thought this was a really important part. So it's funny because when I read this, I didn't think it was a really important part, but I went back and found it after I saw that quote. And, I, and apparently Phil must have, like, I have a feeling like Phil really talked this scene out with him or something. Because he just seemed to really think it was important. Now, he also mentions Jacob Boheim.
2: Well, thats I mean, that that makes sense to, to like, talk out, like, who's who would God be if he was a person? Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: And one of the people he mentions is Jacob Boheim. And this is an example of Phil, like, nobody reading this book at the time is going to know that this was a 16th century German philosopher. And if I didn't have Google to like immediately underline it and go who's this guy and google him i did
2: the same thing
1: (laughs) right exactly but (laughs) the people reading it at the time like and it's like one of those things where phil sometimes makes references that you know he knows no one's gonna get it but he also didn't know that three new ones in 2023 (laughs) were going to be talking on the internet about who fucking jake Jacob Boheim was <laughs> right? because he put it in a fucking book. And
2: what was <laughs> oh, this? Uh, the same thing with uh, you know who Mayum Bialik is, right? Yeah, She yeah. was Blossom, the host of Jeopardy. Yeah. Now, uh, is she but host of Jeopardy?
1: For a yeah, brief she's
2: period. Yeah. Oh wow! She hmm. is the the current host of Jeopardy. No, she's and not uh, in forward. the the middle of this book somewhere. uh, her great uncle is mentioned and I just knew the last name. So I was like, Oh, is he he related to Mayim Bialik? Because that's how Hollywood works is people are often related to famous people in the past. And he's a, a a Jewish philosopher from the 1930s who was very famous in that time. And uh, like, no one's going to know who that person is. Unless they have Google and Wikipedia and all that shit. (laughs) You know, there's going to be four people out there like, oh, reading Dick and going, hey, I am also a Jewish philosopher and I know that guy.
1: (laughs) Page 100 also has a shit ton of like super pro uh, Torah uh, talk. Uh, You know, or God offered the Torah, it is said to every people in the world back in the ancient times. Before he offered it to the jews every nation rejected it for one reason or another uh, finally god offered it to the jews who accepted it which is like the way the jews think of. and that's
2: it. why they're the chosen people
1: chosen people right and um so there's all this stuff about the torah and what we do know is that and we talked about this in the aaron ferardi interview
2: although and, is that Did he make that up?
1: No, no, he didn't make that up. That's he's 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 quoting. Uh, So uh,
2: they weren't the chosen people. They were like the last, (laughs) sort of like the last people.
0: Wait, Larry, make what up?
2: The uh, the Torah being offered to other people.
1: Oh no, no, he's he's talking he's he's talking Jewish philosophy there. No, so is that
2: but is that fact in Jewish philosophy?
1: Yes and he no. had a couple jewish philosophers like really like esoteric like i I mentioned that i got one of the books like listen and you know my father was very jewish and i have a lot of respect for judaism and um so do i i got this book that great holidays i got this book that he was really inspired by that was one of his favorite books about jewish philosophy Around this time, and I thought, and I said to myself, I'm going to read this book and inform my episode on Divine Invasion. And then I literally lasted like nine pages and was like, holy shit, this is boring as hell. <laughs> no fucking way am I reading this. Like, really intense Jewish philosophy where I was like, I didn't have a bar mitzvah. I Like a
0: deep read. dive into the it Torah? So or
1: yeah. And I could not get into it. And you
0: didn't go to temple or anything, uh, David, when you were growing up? Yeah. Nope. Hell, I've been to temple probably more than David has. I probably have, too.
1: <laughs> No, that's not true. I went to a lot of stuff with Dad, and I went to a lot of family, like, bar mitzvahs. Okay. Like okay. So <laughs> I did, but it's a long story. But my mom wasn't Jewish, and my dad basically got kicked out of the family for marrying my mom. Or until my sister was born and then everything was forgiven. But but this was the 60s and it was a big deal and my father was very angry about it for many, many years. And then when my mom passed away, he got way back into Judaism, like hardcore. Yeah, so we, my dad got back into Judaism hardcore when my mom died and I was already like 12 years old. So... But one of the things that he had promised, my mom and dad had promised each other before my sister and I were born is that they would let us choose religion on our own. And by the time, like he got back into Judaism, I was already punk rock and it just, yeah. I mean, there was a short time where I thought about wanting to have a bar mitzvah just because the party looked pretty rad, so. uh,
2: Yeah, and there's money
0: involved. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, I thought Sorry, about it. I'm American. I, I heard how much Torah you have to learn and how much Hebrew you had to learn. Oh, yeah,
0: you
2: you actually have to know your stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. and dysle- dyslexia didn't make for great.
2: Uh, oh, yeah, Re- reading the Torah with dyslexia must be Ugh. insane.
1: <laughs> because it's the other way, <laughs> which is another yeah, thing. It's, it's a, yeah, it's so, added element. Speaking of Judaism, there's uh, the the Fiddler on the Roof thing was really funny in the beginning. We talked about this there in the Aaron <laughs> interview because it's like, do you really want Fiddler on the Roof to represent Judaism? I don't know, but I guess it's it in does. popular
0: culture. So. Yeah, Herb yeah. perceives it as torture, right? In Half Life? Yeah.
1: Yeah idea that it's just kind of coming through on a signal and um uh, you know but, but hey well guys we're we are in the stretch run and um judaism was one of the one of the last uh things I wanted to talk about um I think there's a funny line about Judaism on page fifty seven um reva said uh um, but I'm a Jew I would be a Jew That's what got me into this If I was Gentile Yah wouldn't have picked me If I'd ever um, The divine machinery has a peculiar brutality to it uh, Isn't it romantic? It's cruel It really is um, but, what, um, but what's interesting is Joris wasn't Jewish So Right you know, And studying to be a priest So You know That's just an interesting Like where doesn't match up to the
2: well yeah to you know he was trying to follow a theme in this one
1: right yeah I mean
2: she was she was Christian in the last one in Vallis, so
1: exactly yeah and that's probably the the reason why um all right so um anything else on the on the Judaism involved in this um and 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 i will say like you know like with a a passing knowledge uh of judaism that comes with you know having a dad that was super into it and all that um you know i think it's interesting that phil was so into judaism but it just showed you that part of what was going on with the exegesis is that there's a certain degree that the not the gnostics grab on to Phil and say, he was speaking to us. <laughs> and the Jews can now look at this and say, he was speaking to us. And the thing is, is Phil was studying it, it, it all. And Gill has talked about how he had the experience, David Gill, when he was helping footnote the ex, the exegesis that, whereas, you know, we, that some of these people that really understand religion, hardcore, are really like, hardcore theorists are super impressed by some of these things that Phil pulls out of his butt because, you know, he's, he like really knows this religious stuff. And I think it's because Doris was studying to be a priest and bringing all this shit home.
2: Mm. And he
1: was being able he keep his best friend at the but time. He, but door he door was
2: door. always, always a, a brilliant guy at learning things, different things.
1: But I'm saying this all added to the exegesis, and I don't know in all like the footnoting of the exegesis how much Doris is mentioned, but I think she played a huge role in because she was also the one having these discussions with him. I don't know. I just picture them with TV trays because it was the 70s. Right. I mean, we
0: we, we inevitably we take for granted how. Inevitably. I mean, I I try not to, but I can't do it. We are different beings, literally, than Philip K. Dick was as writers. We have everything at our fingertips like that, you know. Uh, uh, Just uh, using a computer to write is a totally different experience than a typewriter, you know. So when he went, he would have to get this information, like you say, from discussions or go out to a library, right? And it's
2: it's all here.
1: You don't don't have have it anywhere else other than your brain. Yeah, yeah. And Cleo has said that in the 50s like they had an encyclopedia set and that he was just like constantly reading yeah. his encyclopedia yeah.
2: or referring to it or you know.
1: And that I that remember those
2: days. I mean, yeah. I'm sure all of us remember those days where you're like, oh, was oh, that thing I was thinking of? Then I mean, you got to flip open a like the book world book
1: encyclopedia.
2: Yeah.
1: When I was growing up, my dad wrote an entry in the world book encyclopedia on election campaigns. So we always had we got we'd get, <laughs> every couple of years we'd get a new World Book Encyclopedia on our shelf.
0: Those were nice. expensive.
1: Those were expensive as hell, yeah. and like that was the deal. Like you write this thing, you get one, and but that was a big deal for us as we were constantly using them to write reports for school. The, yeah, I know. I, David, and that's I why didn't you pulled, of also had stacks, stacks of oh, of I, that, I stacks did
0: of the magazines.
2: Well. Like yeah. you read an article, you pulled it out and you added in a. You know, some kind of file system. Yeah. Like, it's, it's insane to think of like that was us, but to him it was even more, even more so having all that material around you.
0: Mm-hmm. And I real, I mean, we, we got it easy when you think about it. I mean, I really respect oh, yeah, it's, good it's writers from the twenty, I mean, twentieth century and and before. Uh, it's like yeah. I, I couldn't do it. I, if I had a typewriter, I can't. I could even fathom being a writer.
1: <laughs> i All did
2: right. i did my first writing on a typewriter and did you that's it's not fun
1: <laughs> i wrote amazing punk stories on um on uh what's that 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 GoMax, max that little like green thing that has just the screen it's the word processing thing
2: yeah oh okay
1: yeah i it, it you couldn't do anything else um i don't recommend it but no. um yeah.
2: But see, uh, also, then you had to think about what you're going to say, because you don't want to waste, you know, you don't want to waste the, the printer tape or the uh, the typewriter tape. You don't want to, like, or go back
0: and Yeah. I mean, because I can't, I rewrite as I write. So mm-hmm. I write very slowly, and I, I revise sentence by sentence, and then I'll go back and revise again. I mean, it's a mess. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right, so we have one uh, section left before we get into final thoughts, and that's just uh, funny scenes I wanted to talk about. Um, And the first one is on uh, page 39, and I thought this was such a funny Philip K. Dick moment. Asher dialed the mothership. A moment later, he had the ship's operator circuit. I want to report a contact with God, he said. This is for the commander-in-chief personally. God spoke to me an hour ago, an autocratic. deity named Yah. And I like that he had to, like, excuse me, I'd like to report a contact with God. (laughs) Um, And I like that they also don't care. That they're just like, okay, dude, um, we have your video. No, don't they
2: think he wants an album of some sort?
1: Yeah, so they say, um, this wouldn't be the Linda Fox man, would it? (laughs) Station (laughs) 5? And they, like, know him as the Linda Ronstadt guy, basically. Uh, yeah, we have, and then they say, we have your videotape of Fiddler on the Roof that you requested. We tried to transmit it to your dome, but your receiving manifold appears to be malfunctioning. Which is why he keeps hearing um, Fiddler on the Roof, is because yeah. he had at some point requested a tape of it, <laughs> and then they just kept sending it. Over and over. Well, so that is.
2: I mean, that's the loop he's in because he's in the
1: C- cryo. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, we have notified repair, and they will be out shortly. The tape features the original cast, and then uh, just wait a minute. Um, uh, there's a human being outside. I got to look at it. Do something, right? And then on the very next page is the uh, the soap opera. Oh, then, the soap opera isn't a soap opera. She turns to the screen of the TV. They've been intercepting a, a psychotronic inf- information transfer. I must have plugged in the wrong cable. Damn. <laughs> uh, I thought it was on the air an awful lot of the time. <laughs> it, this is, like, the funniest scene of the book, in my opinion. Uh, it, it It
2: just occurred to me how big of like a diss him describing the girl as like pimply and, and overweight and stuff is
1: because so it's he, supposed to be, it's based on Doris who is his on a, Well, it's like
2: a comparison between that girl and Linda Ronstadt.
0: Who he can't, he's, he can't help but mention at least one. He mentions her once in the end, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. He's like, Oh my God, that's so mean. So oh, he was I don't always. know who
2: the so it was uh what was her name? The neighbor? Doris. Doris. Yeah. So but Doris he's said, like writing he's writing Doris as this ugly chick that he's like, yeah, all right. Someday she'll be Linda Ronstadt, <laughs> but right now I'm I'm good with it.
0: He never well, met did he ever meet her? No, Linda Ronstadt? Know. Yeah. He he tried. You know, he was just hoping she read one of his books. No, he was. Uh, she saw uh, in. uh. Tessa talks
2: about him like being at parties and and talking to famous people and being like, do you know Linda Ronstadt?
0: Oh, OK. Huh. Yeah,
1: he asked he was, uh, the producer, the, the, the producer he threatened to kill uh, that wanted to do to Android's Dream of Electric Sheep" as a comedy. Right.
2: Oh.
1: Like one of the first meetings he had with him, he was like, do you know Linda Ronstadt? Ugh. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah he, he was constantly trying to get in touch with her. He, he would tell people like, "Yeah, I've got this project going. Linda Ronstadt's in her in it. Uh, do you know her? Yeah, can we?"
1: Yeah, and he would say he, every time they would say, "Who do you think should play this character?"
2: Linda like, Ronstadt. When he
1: talked to like Dan O'Bannon about like screamers or whatever, he's yeah. like. As a second variety, he'd be like, you know, it would be great for that role. Linda Ronstadt, <laughs> <laughs> whoever it was, he was yeah. a little obsessed. Yeah. So the funny, okay, so here's the thing, and this is like crappy, typical Philip K. Dick behavior. Doris was his close confidant and friend for four years. She doesn't have the money to keep the apartment next to him as a condominium. It has to move out of Orange County. And then he writes this book that describes her in, in all these ways. It's and it's way. very shitty towards the fictionalized version of her because, in his mind, she abandoned him. Right? Hmm. And left him. And that is such a Phil K. Dick thing because, like. Yeah, he just has.
2: He had that, that, like, lack of self esteem. Well, and you see him.
1: that it's like in Vallas, it's almost like the woman having cancer was like some punishment to him like right. oh you went and got cancer how could you do that to me
2: i i know that i know that's something that anthony truly hated about these books
1: yeah he but it's something
2: that. i've seen and and done that i understand implicitly is that you know having to deal with someone with a handicap of any sort is a pain in the ass. It's it's like when you guys came over to when we were trying to do this episode and I couldn't like put the mic on the thing and you're like, just let me do it. You know, it's, <laughs> right. it's that kind of frustration. And, and you know, once you've dealt with it for a certain amount of time, you're you can't help but John. be like, Let's be Oh Jesus, it's, it's, just such a pain in the ass to deal with this shit.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it,
2: it's, hey, guys. To it's, to me, it's not, uh, it's not an insult. It's just reality. And, and Dick did a good job, like painting that reality.
1: Um, all right. Well, listen. we get into final thoughts. Um, and, um, if we would do this as a movie too. Uh, so, Here's the thing. Um, I'm going to give this book... It's funny because I always talk myself into a higher rating when uh, you know we talk about them. But I think overall... Because of the
2: experience.
1: Yeah, the experience of talking about it and thinking about it again. And I don't remember what I gave it on Goodreads. I'd have to go look. but So I'll find out if I changed my... But I think right now I'm going to give this... Uh, four out of five syntho wombs Um, and basically I think I prefer this to Valis because I like that it's actually science fiction Um, Mm. I I was less bogged down by the autobiographical things because um, I think if you don't know Phil's story they're not overwhelming they're overwhelming if you're me Um, but like, I can't hold that against the book. And I think, unlike Phallus, I think this one comes to some conclusions philosophically with especially the Big Noodle scene, which I think, when we talked about, like, the various scenes that make this book, the Big Noodle, the reality test, the, the opening isolation, and... Like, I just think this one combines the Philip K. Dick science fiction with all the exegesis shit and what he was going through religiously. It feels like a book from the 60s. And so it's a much more pure Philip K. Dick. Like, Vallas is like an experimental novel all on its own that isn't like anything else. It's super meta. It's its own thing. This is a Philip K. Dick novel about the ballast ship. And so to me, it's I like it better than, than ballast. Four out of five Uh Langhorne.
2: Well, uh, not to agree with you, but uh, I'm going to give it a four uh, evil goat kites. <laughs> it's uh, a
1: it's I, pretty high rating for you.
2: Yeah, I thought this. Uh, I I really enjoyed reading this one throughout. I was I was not bored. Uh, the the sad sack, who I hated, was not not actually. He wasn't like central to the story, because there were so many other characters that had a voice, and and had a say in what was happening. Elias was great. God was kind of a dick like he should be. And uh, all the other characters were were interesting
1: to me. God was a dick as he should God be.
2: was a dick. I mean, he was. <laughs> Especially, I although I did like which we didn't men- mention is the uh, communion scene when everybody's oh, yeah. taking the flesh and he's like, that's not flesh. That's a fucking cracker. I thought that was pretty funny Um, so uh, yeah uh, it was a story it was a sequel it it was leading to the next book which unfortunately we didn't get but I I, I enjoyed this read so that's my the extent of it
0: And I'm I'm actually with both of you, but I'm going to give it four out of five Bulkowskis now (laughs) only because I don't know who is that Bulkowski in this mentioned a few times. But I couldn't figure out. Like, I couldn't connect it to uh, uh, who uh, the character actually was. Is it a detective or something? Probably only appears four or five times name. Oh, my
1: God, dude. The Thrashers, Bashers. Thrasher Basher's Outline from 1962 has the best fictional Philip K. Dick character name ever. There's a character in it named Bear Grip Jablowski.
2: <laughs> Bear Grip?
1: <laughs> Bear Grip.
0: Oh, Bear Jablowski.
1: Grip. It is the, I, I, I could I not stop laughing at that name. It's
0: I think the, I like that better than Horse Lover Fat.
1: Yeah, Bear Grip Jablowski. Bear Grip. All
0: right, I'll remember that. All right, well, I'm
1: sorry to derail so, your, your well, comments.
2: So no, Bolkowski is the the he's one of the leaders of the world.
1: Wow, did we all have the same rating? We all
2: had the yes. same rating? Yeah.
1: Wow. But I was I, So there's, there's
2: a there's what's his face? The cardinal. Yeah. So there's a the the cardinal Fulton oh, is he arms? Okay. who's the the religious leader and then Bolkowski and his wife kind of run the 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 um non-religious part of society somehow the, ex-
0: the exposition about his character i must have been daydreaming when i uh, read over it or something yeah there's a, uh, there's not a lot um, <laughs> and, well, and well, like we said they, they don't factor in very much so right right but i kind of i like i like stuff like that and i was going to say just for my little crazy. Uh, <laughs> my <laughs> concluding thesis or whatever nah, it's not a thesis I really like remember, and incidentally one of the themes, I don't know if we touched on it, is, well, memory writ large, right? And the lack or loss or uh, uh, obstruction thereof. Uh, mem- or, or f- more broadly, forgetfulness and, and remembrance, which recurs uh, in other books and stories too. Yeah. But I really like, above all, how he science fictionalizes re- religion. Uh, in all of these books, and especially in this one. And I remember reading it, like you, David, I read this first. <laughs> I, and I think at the time, this was in the 90s, I think in the t- at the time it was being called the Divine Invasion Trilogy, despite, that's why I initially asked about that, despite it being called the Valis Trilogy now. I that, I could be wrong. But I was still a little religious back then, and I remember reading this going, uh, thinking to myself, gee, this I, I like this better than any religion i've ever studied or rather been made to study this is cool uh and I, that feeling when i was rereading this came back to me yeah so uh um this is yeah, probably if,
2: if i, I would have read this in in the early 90s yeah i mean this would have affected me in, in totally. a big way yep. because i was studying all religions
0: yeah. like
2: i was oh, I, I was reading all the books I, w- I was reading uh richard bach and his crazy ass, like, uh, hippie stuff. (laughs) I was, uh, I was all into this. And if I would have read this and Vallas, I would have been like, oh man, this is my jam all the way.
1: Well, and I read divine invasion and Vallas like in 2003. is when I read those. So it was pretty, see, I read,
2: I read part of Valis in, in 94 or something like that. I, I think I read like the first three chapters and lost the book. On a bus or something, <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, "Oh fuck it, I'm not reading that one."
1: All right, so two things left, and that's uh, how would you do this as a movie? Um, would you do this as, like if somebody came to you and said like you have to adapt this as a film? Um, I would have an easier time with this than Talos. I I
0: want to hear Big D's. Uh, you know, I honestly I haven't, th- I haven't thought about it in any depth, but. I'd probably latch on to the uh, um, earlier part of the book. You make a movie, uh, you know, with the domes and stuff. Um,
1: that was exactly what I was going to say, too. Yeah. yeah. Scientific- I mean, what
0: what, what are you going to do? We have two people talking to each other with a goat, you know? <laughs> two hours. Well, you
1: could do the reality test, <laughs> and you could do the whole, like... Hey, dom- Waking
2: Life is a, is a great movie, and it's just people talking to each other. Yeah, that's true. Coffee and cigarettes. You know, it's just people
0: oh, talking. Yeah, like that's that, true. You know? But I mean, of course, you 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 would uh, uh, weave that stuff into uh, uh, a narrative that might be grounded um, in the dome world.
1: Carrie yes. wants me to shout out my dinner with Andre as a movie.
2: Yep, just two people talking the whole time.
1: Yeah, and um, well, just
2: watched that one last year. A great movie.
1: Um, well, here's the thing: I I would focus on the i think there's a story about god coming to earth um and you start off with science fictional parts and then you you kind of do it in a like man who fell to earth kind of like Mm. you know weirdo like you know do people you know the the philosophical conversations that happen when god shows up in this this near future dystopia and People have to grapple with with the idea of it you could make a funny movie I, I would go for funny I would go for weird and funny
2: I actually agree with that because I'm I I'm thinking I would go Douglas Adams style with a narrator and try to like like with voiceovers like yeah voiceover narrator keeping it like the story going but uh, announcing everything that's happening
1: you're gonna pay out the wazoo to the, that uh, Fiddler on the Roof soundtrack for the opening scene, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> but it fades in. Yeah, right. And Herb Asher's sitting there like, oh my god, and Fiddler on the Roof's like playing over and over.
2: Yeah. But uh, I I just I I can imagine a narrator just going. And God was going to elementary school.
1: <laughs> well, you get the narrator to like you actually get to use parts of Phil's text by it doing yeah. the area kind of the way uh scanner darkly did and mm. um you know it's too bad richard Linkletter wanted to use phil actually reading the, the book but the radio audio that he had was good enough But uh, i think it would have worked in the movie if the audio was a little hey
2: but strange. i mean you can watch it on our channel yep.
1: <laughs> basically yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um him reading that part yeah yeah um, so here's uh, the thing. I I think uh, we've got a pretty good idea of how we would do this movie. So Electric Shepherd, uh, if you uh, want a divine invasion movie, you know the, the dudes to call. So um, on right. that note, um, I'm gonna start off our dick-like suggestions. And um, this has been a great year for uh, modern science fiction, and there's a lot I could have gone with in the mountain. Uh, the Mountain in the Sea by Raymond Naylor was really, really great. Maru by S.B. Divya. knew it's the Terraformers, but I just finished last night reading Rudy Rutger, former winner of the BKB Award. Uh, Rudy Rutger's newest self-published novel, Juicy Ghosts. And Juicy Ghosts is kind of, uh, it was written in 2020 and it's very obviously about 2020. But it's also about AI and it's very PKD because characters in it are uploading their consciousness to life boxes and waiting for cloned fresh bodies and it's very funny. Um, There's a scene about AI generated donuts that's absolutely hilarious. Uh, for example, um, I laughed a lot reading at Rudy Rucker, and if you want to read a book that's going to confuse you with just like weirdness, um, a Rudy Rucker book is definitely destined to do that. And one of the things is is that when he's tr- traditionally published, he's had to tone down a lot of that. Huh. But when huh? he publishes yeah. it himself, well, look
0: like wetware and all of those, yeah.
1: yeah, which I still like, but um, this book. Is not toned down in the weirdness. Yeah, I was, uh, I was wondering
0: why it was self-published.
1: Yeah, I think he just, like, he said that he submitted it to a couple of publishers. but I'm
0: so pissed about that. I would have published that shit through Anti-Oedipus Press, totally. I used to correspond with him years ago. He self-published
1: that? Yeah.
0: Oh. Well, uh, yeah. Because he's, <laughs> I, I'm glad he's still writing. He's older now. Isn't he in his 80s? Yeah
1: and like his mid- wife just mid- passed away recently oh, so yeah and um but Rudy um, painted the cover and he I just think he wanted wow. he did he did a kickstarter and wanted to do it himself oh okay that's yeah terrible. so eventually that's the way he did it but Juicy Ghosts is great it's very funny yeah it's great and actually the biggest comparison mm-hmm. I would have if you wanted a book that's similar to what I many times referenced Dr. Identity by David Harlan Wilson, ah. um, which my wife is a big fan of. She's jumping up and down about it right now. On the other <laughs> side of the room. But, um, I constantly told her this is Dr. Identity. Funny. Wait,
2: now I, now I got to read some of his shit. No, yeah, don't read that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So I compared it to Dr. Identity by this guy and, um, <laughs> But yeah, it goes. Okay. All right. Um playing horn. Your midnight oh, like suggestion. Shit. Or do you want uh Professor Wilson? No, I, got
2: professor? I got it. I got it. One of these one of these panels has it. All right. So uh you know how much we love cosmic puppets, right? Yes. Right? Right, David?
1: We do not love cosmic puppets.
2: We huh. fucking hate cosmic puppets. Well, it's imagine. All right.
1: Movie.
2: Here we go. There's this small town. And a couple, this time with the family, two kids, come up to this uh, log in the middle of the road.
1: Wait, is the this crows a video game
2: of course? And they go around, they end up in this town where there's something mysterious happening.
1: Is this a movie or a video game or a book?
2: It's a TV show. TV show. And there's strange, like ghost-like figures all around the outside of the town, not in the town. There's some psychic kids involved. And hijinks en ensues. The show is called From, uh, and it's it's currently running its second season, and it stars uh, our man Harold Piranhu, who you would remember from Lost or the uh, Matrix sequels or Oz. He yeah, he it. is he is an incredible actor, and I've always said that uh, ever since I first saw him. Yeah. Right I, the I, pod, I, even
1: Zorik has been after me to watch the show too.
2: He is, he is an amazing actor and uh, he, carried, trippy, show. he carries this show like on his shoulders. Yeah. Um, but it has a lot of parallels to cosmic puppets. Uh, no, no boob mountains yet, but we'll see what happens. Um, no, no gods yet. But again, We'll see what happens because it's getting weirder and weirder. He's uh, like, uh, he's the sheriff of the town, and he is currently traveling as as far as I've seen in the first season. He's traveling outside of the town, which no one has done without dying, because basically, like, ghosts come back uh, and kill people
0: uh, you're during you're the, the night. Man. Did you get into the second season yet? Not yet. Not oh, yet. Are, are I, you watching this? Yeah, totally. Oh I'm my all, god, I'm all up to date, so I won't spoil it for you. Okay. It, <laughs>
1: it's a it's a very good show. Uh, uh, Professor Wilson, what do you got for? So uh,
0: I, I actually have a retro suggest not suggestion but title here uh, that I came across in researching for my upcoming book, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, but I don't know. Wilson. I couldn't for the. The name, it's it's a collection. Welcome to Reality, The Nightmares of P- Philip K. Dick, which presumably includes stories from major authors. Well, that's very Dick-like. Written, <laughs> written in a Dick-like vein. Is it uh, a
1: fiction tribute to Phil?
0: Yes. Broken Mirrors Press, 1991. Huh. Yui Anton, editor. I ordered a copy from eBay, so I'll let you know. But I cannot find, there's no back cover copy on any of these Editions. It's it's just an old paperback. I'll send you a picture.
1: I've never heard of that one.
0: All right. Yeah. It's all, I mean. So it's an,
1: an anthology.
0: From the one, I finally found something that said like, uh, you know, there was a story by Tim Powers in it, for instance, and some other oh. folks. Uh, but written. Well, maybe
2: it's just uh, uh, stories by friends of
0: his. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. Hmm. But I mean, well. The title suggests that thematically there's some Philip K Dick uh uh action going on there but yeah. Is, am I allowed to do a retro suggestion or does it have to be a Oh no, you have you no, can do whatever, whatever you want. want. Okay, yeah, that's mine.
1: My... All right, and finally,
2: <laughs> have you have either one of you read much of uh Tim Powers?
0: Yeah, only the Anubis Gates. That's the only thing I've read by him. I should read I I,
2: I love his uh his storytelling ideas. Yeah. I mean the way the way he tells stories is incredible.
1: All right. <laughs> so on that note, um, we need to find out what we're doing next time.
0: We are reading the transmigration of Timothy Archer. And I have some copy here from City Light's books webpage. You want me to read it?
1: Yeah, Maybe. read it to us. What's it about?
0: From Philip K. Dick, the Hugo Award-winning author of The Man in the High Castle and Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Huh, they should mention, oh, they do. Uh, Comes the transmigration of Timothy Archer, the conclusion of the Valis trilogy, bringing the author's search for the identity and nature of God to a close. I mean, this copy would be interesting to talk about in itself. Yeah. Real quick. The novel follows Bishop Timothy Archer as he travels to Israel ostensibly to examine ancient scrolls bearing the words of Christ. But more importantly, this leads him to examine the decisions he made during his life, how they may have contributed to the suicides of his mistress and son. This introspective book is one of Dick's most philosophical and literary delving into the mysteries of religion and of faith itself.
1: And guys, this is the last book he finished.
2: Yeah, it's weird that they don't mention that. Hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: You'd think that they're like the
2: the
1: last
0: book. Uh, wait, oh, here you go. Listen, one more sentence. As one of Dick's final works, <laughs> it also provides unique insight into the mind of a genius whose work was still in the process of maturing at the time of his death. There you go. Okay
1: and uh yeah so we'll be back for Timothy Archer and and
2: technically this uh episode is the end of season three even though season three has gone on for like two years
1: <laughs> how I many think episodes we need to start proceed? season four a little quicker' <laughs> uh, there's,
2: there's usually about 10 this one was 14 so oh, okay
1: yeah. So, on that note, uh, we'll see everybody next time with Timothy Archer, hopefully quicker. Um, what will guns? We? Yeah. Keep it paranoid. Be, all, be paranoid. Yes.